and welcome to episode 177 of The Dive Down, a Magic the Gathering podcast focused on the latest decks, trends, and strategies for the casual spike. My name is Shane, here in Denver, and with me on the line from Chicago, Illinois, it's the one and only godfather, Dave Harbarger. Hi. Hey, Dave. It's just me. <laughs> just the two of us, Dave. We can make it. We can make it if we try. We're gonna come up with a new theme song for just the two of us. So we're building castles in the sky. Yeah. Send in a, a submission if you uh, find us at on Twitter at the Dive Down. If you want to tell us a uh, tell us a song that Shane and I should sing to each other, because I'm I'm tired of waiting for Shane to come up with his own theme song for me. That's special from the one that he uses for Stan when I'm not here. We can do like a a bad Beastie Boys cover, where it's like two MCs and no DJ. Mm-hmm. We're making podcasts with no delay. Can you pick an older reference than the Beastie Boys? Mm, I don't know. Do you think the Beastie Boys are one Gen X band that like did not get picked up by like I don't feel like there's a lot of millennials who are like I really love the Beastie Boys. Man, that's a good point. I think they there's like a certain style. What's what's weird about the Beastie Boys is they like that one they traversed a a certain era of of hip hop. Or it's they went from like essentially like party joke rap almost into like sample based stuff into like like legitimate hip hop culture. But then you know after they got old and you know started unfortunately passing away, then you're right. They just kind of they have not maintained the 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 zeitgeist of the youth. But I think it's just hip hop culture is just different now too. I think. I can speak speak from experience. I was going to say, this is great. This is the content people are tuning in for is you and me talking about hip hop culture. (laughs) I was mostly just thinking maybe they used up all their goodwill on Hello Nasty and and it didn't really go anywhere after that. But yeah, I mean, yeah, but you know, well, you have your two MCs. We have no DJ. Stan is off this week. Uh, he might be off next week as well. He's getting some traveling in. And so, you know, stuff's just. You know, it's, sometimes you just can't be on a podcast. So good luck, Stan. Enjoy your travels, and we'll see you either next week or the week after. I'm sure everyone out there uh, will miss you. Oh, um, I know I will. Yeah, I right. know I will. On, on this week's show, we're going to do a deck dive for the first time in a while. We are once again going to address the question that we slash I have, have asked or hinted at many times on this podcast. Is it a question... That you've asked in the past, or is it an assertion you've made? I think that's more fair. Okay. That's more, much more fair, David. Uh, and that assertion is mid-range is dead. And so the question we are coming to each other with this episode is, is mid-range dead? So we're going to talk about the second most popular deck in Pioneer, Rakdos Midrange. We're going to do a deep dive into how it works, how... Guess uh, what? Car- it kills yeah. creatures. That's how it works. Yes, it certainly does kill creatures and plays its own. Uh, so we'll talk about our experiences with this deck, how it's constructed, how it's intended to win and lose games, how matches have felt. But I think a lot of this is going to also be us just talking about kind of like, why? Right. Why is this deck the, the second most popular deck in Pioneer? Why? Why do people rush to want to play this deck? Why? It's a good, I mean, I don't know if I can even answer that question after playing a lot with this deck and writing about this deck, but maybe we can get to this conclusion by the end of these two hours 
together, Dave, because that's how long it takes us to make this podcast every week somehow. Doesn't matter if there's two chefs in the kitchen or three chefs in the kitchen. It still takes two hours to bake a podcast. Yep. Uh, before we talk about Rakdos Midrange, though, we are going to take a good long look in the breakdown segment at the 200-ish person modern main event at DreamHack Dallas this past weekend. That's right. So just because we're doing a deck dive on Pioneer, you modern lovers, do not do not uh, tune out. We're going to talk about DreamHack for a while. It's a good tournament. There's a lot of interesting stuff. Got to watch some coverage. Also, the Modern Lovers, pretty good band as well. So check them out <laughs> if you haven't checked them out. If you want to look at other uh, Gen X bands that haven't lasted as long. Modern Lovers, get at us. Sponsor our podcast. Jonathan Richmond, write a, new, write a new theme song for our podcast. <laughs> Jonathan Richmond. That's, you know, why haven't we thought about that yet? But anyway, first, some housekeeping. We do have a few new patrons this week. We've got Chris D. And we have uh, The Apprentice of Adventure. Hmm. Thanks to you both for becoming citizens of the Dive Down Nation. And we have no increased tiers this week. But any of you out there who are sitting at kind of a, a buck a week or something like that, and you're like, well, you know, I'm, I'm doing my part. I'm helping the, the dive down out. And you are, and we appreciate that. But if you have thought about going up a tier or two, you get some added benefits. You get uh, some swag sent your way. You get access to the episodes uh, a, a little bit early after we get them edited. We put them up on Patreon for the $5 plus tier. We do have our deck box deck boxes, excuse me, showing up uh, later on this month or next month, and people at the $5 tier uh, will have those sent their way. Or people who were at the $5 tier for, I think, like three weeks or something like that. Don't worry, we're keeping track of all that. At any point in time, in the last 177 episodes, <laughs> we're going to try to find you. We have records. Well, not 177, because we didn't always have a Patreon. But ever since the Patreon started. Yeah, and I, I actually do. I have people like marked as former patrons, but our owed deck boxes. So you will get them because we're going to have a lot of them. So we, we want to hook you all up. There's going to be a lot of confused people sending packages back to you, Shane. There's going to be a lot of angry male people dropping these boxes off at people's houses who don't, they don't even want them. Yeah. The magic <laughs> players moved years moved, ago. Yes. Yeah. They've moved multiple years ago. So I'm just going to cross my fingers and hope for the best. And you know, if, if you're out there and you happen to live at a former patron's address and you get one, just enjoy it. Could you imagine living at a house and then yeah. being, being there and being a magic player <laughs> as well and having a deck box for a different Patreon show up? It's, I mean, I, it's funny, when I moved to Ann Arbor in 2009, like one of my second or third stops after grad school, I happened to move into the place that one of my uh, coworkers had formerly lived in. And so it's just like, we, we figured that out pretty quickly. It was just like, oh yeah, I used to live there. I was like, why was your ceiling painted black? Why, why, why do they have to repaint both these bedrooms, Greg? Like, it was the 2000s. I was really into shoegaze. Yeah, probably. Yeah. But Dave, we have some new reviews. We do. One of our new reviews... It's from our editor, Tanner. <laughs> this is just a gimme. <laughs> it's nice to know that someone who edits our podcast, who we pay to listen to our podcast weekly to edit it, <laughs> has decided that we're worthy of a five-star review. It's a little like our mom showing up and being like, these boys are doing a pretty good job of podcasting. <laughs> I don't know what a podcast is, but I like it. Yeah. No, but I think Tanner does know what podcasts are. He is a professional in the industry. So thanks, Tanner. We also have what what from another one from the Canada? Yeah, we have one from Canada from 529 that I think we missed last week from someone named Facha. 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 And they asked us to consider doing 
a dive on Pioneer Mono Blue Spirits. And I will tell you what, don't threaten me with a good time because if that duck sticks around, <laughs> you know, you know, I'm going to make him do it at some point. I mean, if there's nothing I like better, it's talking about a list of like nine different creatures and some blue tempo. So I'll just feel like, why is this spirit good? Yeah. Why is, why is this spirit good? What's good about Shacklegeist? That's a good question. Lots, lots. We've mentioned the Patreon a little bit earlier. If you'd like to help keep us going, help support us, get access to the definitively discreet dive down discord head on over to patreon.com slash the dive down a buck a week is all it takes to help us out help keep us going and uh, we appreciate all of you who are in the nation absolutely and if you would like to support the dive down while playing magic please check out manatraders.com manatraders.com is the best place to rent magic the gatherings cards on magic online to play the formats you play on Magic Online. <laughs> Magic the Online. Magic the Online. Last week I said Magic the Online and it was it was glorious. So Yeah, I'm still I'm I'm still laughing about it. Yeah, exactly. We get these jokes are free. Now Mana Traders is not, but if you use our code, <laughs> you can uh, you can check out check them out and get fifteen percent off your first two month of rentals. That code is the dive down fifteen for now. Get it while it's hot. Right on. And now, Shane, you're on the news desk this week because we said we're going to talk about yeah. DreamHack. Whoa. Here we are from the future, <laughs> Shane. It's, it's future Shane and future Dave. It's, it's Tuesday, Tuesday, Dave and Shane. We're yeah. here. Instead of Monday, Dave and Shane, who were doing the podcast. And, and guess what? What? Something happened. <laughs> of course it did. There were bans. Yeah, we just got done. You know, recording and fully editing this episode. Tanner gave us the episode, and we were like, "Well, how are we going to handle this? I guess we'll just do a little drop in." And here is our drop in. Have we ever actually done this exact thing before? I forget. I don't think we have, but I think everybody's going to love the record scratch that we put at the beginning of this, and the gong that you're going to drop in here, and the other foley work that you're definitely going to do to really emphasize this. And uh, to try to help me from wanting to go back to our Discord and argue with people about Radiohead, because that's what's going on right now in my life. Yeah, that's what we're doing. We're arguing about, we're, we're being true uh, late Xers, early millennials, and arguing about Radiohead. Yeah. Or more heated discussions. Anyway, we had some other heated discussions in the Discord today, because you may have heard, Wizards made an announcement June 7th, early in the morning, that in Pioneer, they were going to ban Winota ban expressive iteration and then also ban expressive iteration in explorer as well my, my favorite thing was in the parentheses below that it's like note that winota join a join our forces is already banned in explorer i just imagine michael majors and ian duke being like oh twitter's gonna have so many angry comments if we don't write this and remind <laughs> people that we already did it <laughs> yeah if this is your first time viewing a bnr this is how they work you can't play these cards anymore that's how they work all right, so as usual, let's let's first get into maybe a little bit of the the language they used and rationale around these bands because mm -hmm. I think that's kind of important to read into the tea leaves. Even though a uh, previous tea leaf said that they were going to unban Winota Joiner of Forces in Explore once <laughs> once we hit like Dominaria's uh, whatever uh, coming out, but clearly they can change their mind. Yeah, I mean, you know what happened. They started looking at those Magic Online results and went, whoa, <laughs> yeah. wait a minute. What's Apparently, the number one deck and how many how many people are playing it? I mean, they didn't 
they didn't give us numbers on that, which I find interesting. Like they didn't sort of back this up. And so like, I guess let's actually read something. It says it's become clear that Naya Winota is suppressing diversity as its power and consistency has have drastically reduced incentives to play other linear creature-based strategies. Not only is it a resilient mid-range deck that can leverage many of the powerful mana creatures available in the format, but its explosive draws evolving the deck's namesake can create unassailable battlefield states as quickly as turn three. Due to its large metagame share, high win rate, no number given, and ability to create frustrating removal check gameplay, that's, that's true, true. Renota Joyna of Forces is banned in Pioneer. So let's first talk about this. Uh, then we'll get a new expressive iteration. Yep, that sounds good to me. Hate this card. Love this for us. I'm sorry, everybody who likes to play Naya mid-rangey decks like this. This card, the, it really was summed up in that sentence you said where it said it creates removal check games because it, that's kind of what it was. And then yeah. Winota had kind of gotten to a point where the side threats were even good enough that if you spent all your removal killing Winota... You really didn't have a chance to catch up against the natural play when they would play Tovalar's Huntmaster or whatever from there, or you died of Voice of Resurgence tokens, etc. Or Essica's Chariot, yeah. for that matter. Just simply that. Essica's Chariot, the value that you get off of Fable of the Mirror Breaker, uh, you know, ramping off of Mana Dorks into three drops is never a bad thing. So it's just a it's it's it this is a poster child, I think, of a creature can be like a card can be okay to powerful for a long while. And then as more and more cards can go hand in hand with it, it can create uh, a deck and a card that's too good. Yeah. I mean, I think that people have always known deep in their hearts that Winota's time was going to run out at some point in this format, it's not, probably never going to be powerful enough for modern, but this is the right type of card to be really good in Pioneer. It's the right type of card to be good in Explorer. And correct me if I'm wrong, but this card is already banned in Historic, isn't it, too? Oh, yeah, definitely banned in Historic. Yeah, so, I mean, it's... And it was banned in Standard, I think, too, right? Am I wrong about that? That's a good question. Maybe it didn't quite get there in Standard. I don't know. I don't cover Standard. Standard has decks that have, like, 25% of the metagame. Hello, <laughs> Hanada. Uh, so, pass on Standard. But um, I think... I think that it's just, it was coming. I'm kind of glad that they just ripped the Band-Aid off, I guess. I mean, I I do think that it has some specific impacts on their episode that we recorded this week. Yeah, yeah for because sure. Because personally, now I had a long discussion with some of our patrons who kind of disagree with my opinion here. Maybe I'm wrong. But I did feel like Rakdos mid-range was in part good in the metagame and played a lot in the metagame because it had decent to good game against Minota. Now, some other players kind of inform me that it doesn't, but I mean I don't know. If if your goal is to if if you're a removal check deck and Rakdos has a lot of the removal, and it has you know Fisher removal that can take care of Winota. Of course, it's it's one of those things where you can get overrun by just playing a bunch of creatures and you run out of removal. Uh, so that's kind of a pain. But I think that in terms of being a removal check deck and having the ability to to stop Winota and create pressure on the other side, I think Rakdos is as good as any decent deck against it in the format. So before we get off the Rakdos thing, you'll hear us say some stuff in the rest of this episode that has to do with Rakdos specifically in the context of Winota. We're not going to edit that out. This is a free podcast. We're not editing that out. But just so you know, we know that the card's been banned now. Here we are from the future telling us that, telling you that the card is banned, and uh, we're sorry for that. We're sorry we didn't see it. 
as for Winota's performance, the thing that's interesting about it is it hasn't won a challenge in a couple of weeks. Um, but if you look at the results page on MTG Goldfish, you know, Pioneer League 5-0, Prelim 3-1, Mavericks Cup Pioneer, I don't even really know what that is, but it came in 9th and 20th. There's a challenge when it came in 13th. You know, the Invasion Tour, whatever that is, Naya came in 2nd. Pioneer Challenge, it came in 7th, 16th, 17th, 18th, 21st, and 32nd. So that's six of the top 32. You know, there's just a lot of it floating around, uh, going all the way back to 522 when it won, and also came in 12th, 19th, 28th, and 32nd in the in the challenge. Yeah, so I think the real question is, is like, is this deck too good? And I'm I'm not sure that we can say by results alone that the deck is too good that the card is too good i think we can i think we can kind of safely say that the deck did have sort of a, a warping feature about it right where it's just saying hey uh you need to have a plan for winota it, i think it, it it stops slower decks slower mid-range decks sort of over the top decks from existing unless they have a certain concentration of removal because they just can't keep up with winota and so i think that it's possible to be too good of an aggressive deck. I mean, we saw bands and standard from mono red just being like so consistent, so powerful, uh, things like that during the Kaladesh era and other times mono red has just been amazing. So in terms of a, a format like pioneer, where we know that they're going to keep printing good creatures, they're going to print creatures that bring cr tokens along for the ride and things like that. So Naya is just, excuse me, one is just one of those cards where, it's time has come. What I'm more interested about, I think, is perhaps the impact on the format around it. Around it. But we can't. We we're never going to get to talk about that because they banned another card. Yeah, that's a good point. And we can't. I don't think we can really isolate these two cards from each other. So, in addition to doing yeah, very good doing point. This, they must have believed that is it was very much with a big up arrow next to it, especially if Winota went away. And because they decided to ban expressive iteration as well, which is played in basically it's played in is it control, is it Phoenix, and is it prowess, which is a deck that was on its way to being something in this, or you know, was starting to get more and more popular in Pioneer. For sure. That's definitely an up and comer. People are surprised by this one. Let's read some text here. Been a, it's been a multi-format all-star since its release in Strixhaven. Uh, it's fueled a variety of highly successful is it strategies by providing card selection and card advantage at a much higher rate than what's available to other decks, making it extremely difficult for other strategies to engage them in wars of attrition. Here's some interesting stuff. Although we recognize that there are several other card draw spells in the format, notably Treasure Cruise and Dig Through Time, we currently believe that Delve spells contribute to blue decks in Pioneer having a unique identity among Eternal formats. As Pioneer's card pool has fewer strong cantrips and no fetch lands, we're hoping many Delve spells can continue to be part of the format at a more moderate power level compared to how they would play in other non-rotating formats. To lower the win rate of the wide variety of Izzet decks and bring them further in line with other strategies in the format while maintaining what makes them special in Pioneer, expressive iteration is banned. So I think that is, I mean, this is good rationale, perhaps, where it's just saying, hey, we think that we want to bring them in line with other strategies. We want to lower their win rate. So maybe they have some stats that says these the win rates of these decks is, is perhaps higher than their, their, their play rate, at least on MTG Goldfish, which we know isn't perfect data. 
And I think what's also interesting, we can talk about this after we talk about the band maybe, is how they want to see, they see the Delve cards as some a part of the identity of Pioneer, where we get to play these Delve cards because we don't have cantrips and we don't have fetch lands, which has been part of the format's identity since day one. Yeah, I mean, this one's a bummer for me. I, I of course, am an it person. I like to cast a lot of expressive iteration after it took me a while to figure out that it was a good card. But ever since, you know, about three three weeks after Strixhaven came out, everybody knew that the card was good. I don't know how long it's taken for everybody to realize that the card is kind of broken in a way. Like, it's just, it's so good. You know, people are starting to clamor about it being too good for Legacy. People are starting to say that it's, you know, Spike said on the DreamHack broadcast over the weekend that it was a top five card in Modern even. It's just a really good card. And I, I think it's sad to see a good draw spell go, a card that is sort of fair, but the rate is absurd. I mean, it's essentially two mana to draw three cards, you know? Yeah. And like, so what? You don't get to keep one of them, but you get to choose. And that's just crazy. Two mana draw to choo- choosing of three, which is, it's really good. And I think it's... It's. I think it's pretty fair to say that it's likely better than the Delve spells. It's likely better than uh, Treasure Cruise, and which sees more play than Dig Through Time. At least in Pioneer, I don't think that there. If if Treasure yes, Cruise yes, was yes. unbanned in Modern, I don't think there would be any comparison between Expressive Iteration. And, they would be played in the same deck, but um, but Treasure Cruise would be do plenty of work to outpace Iteration. I think. I think. Don't at me, but. The interesting thing for me here, I think, is the timing where, like you said, is like maybe they just have some data where they're just like the, these decks will likely be the best things to do or that expressive iteration is just so consistently good and we believe that it's maybe just too good for the power level of the format. But it's kind of a wild thing to get out of there. It's kind of like when they banned like Oath of Nyssa from the mono green decks where it's like, this is a very innocuous card and much more innocuous than expressive iteration. I got to tell you, that was the thing that reminded me the most uh, of this, this particular ban was, Oh really this card. And it also made me wonder if someday pioneer is going to return to a power level that is sufficient for expressive iteration to come back off the, the ban list. I don't know. I mean, that seems like a real long shot. I, I almost feel like it's more likely that eventually it'll go in modern, but I guess we'll just see for now. But yeah, it did remind me a lot of the Othanissa ban because it was just like, wow, that's a good card, but it's not in any super broken decks, but they must think that it's going to be broken or that it's going to be better uh, lead to to some domination in the format that's not there right now. Yeah, I don't know. I'm a little bit confused by it because I, I haven't felt necessarily like these decks were, were too good. So I think we do have a couple levers being pulled here. I think that some people are like, well, why not Nykthos? Why not something out of the Lotus field deck, et cetera, et cetera. Right. And so, but I think the metaphor that I was thinking about earlier today was like, well, you know, they, they pulled the Winota shaped Jenga piece out of the bottom of the tower and they're going to, and things are going to fall over now and they don't necessarily need to do more than that. Like we've got expressive iteration and we've got Winota and those are two big shakeups. Those are two powerful pieces in, 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 in some powerful decks. Yeah. I know we're not in the prediction business, but now that we've talked yeah. about both cards, what are you keeping an eye on here right now? Like, I'm looking at the top half of the Pioneer metagame on MTG Goldfish. I think Naya midrange is just gone, right? Like, without Winota, I don't think the shell built yeah. around Essica's Chariot, as it's conceived right now, is really powerful enough, right? 
Yeah, it's not a good enough mid-range deck, I don't think, like in terms of what it's doing. My real thought process is, are the fast decks going to still be fast enough in, ter- like in, in terms of like Naya would notice speed? Put enough pressure on slow, slightly slower decks that maybe need a little bit longer to set up and then go off, like maybe something like the Lotus Field deck, or uh, even Mono Green Ramp, or something like that, or just needs a few more turns to really set up a board to uh, do something really powerful. And so, right now, I th- we we'll talk about it in the episode that I, at least I think that Rakdos mid range is kind of one of the reasons that it's so high in the in the meta percentage and in the representation is like one, it's a mid range deck, so it has game against everything, sort of. But because it has so much removal, it can it can fight against Winota at least somewhat decently. If you remove the Winota from there, and then Rakdos Midrange doesn't necessarily have uh, another tier one deck to beat up on, then the slightly slower decks that weren't weren't able to handle Winota, like Mono Green Ramp, which is already quite good, or like Niv to Light or something like that, which needs a little bit more time and can go over the top of the other midrange decks. I think we'll see those creep up a bit. I'm curious to see if we're going to have another aggro deck take Nyawanota's place, like a Boros Prowess or something like Humans might have have some game and then it'll sort of stay similar. Or if we're going to have kind of a, a big battleship type race where it's like, we're going to go slightly bigger, we're going to go slightly bigger, we're going to go slightly bigger. And then Niv, like, you know, Niv to Light is a new, like, tier one staple because it's just so good at handling everything else i mean i agree with all this really i mean i think that's a totally reasonable take on where this might go you know the only thing i wonder about a little bit is if like lotus you know we talked about lotus field a little bit i wonder if people just start messing around with lotus field a little bit more now it's already fifth on goldfish's meta breakdown um, maybe it'll go up, maybe it'll get more solid. Not that Winota, I mean, Winota was just kind of faster than, than Lotus Field, right? So you could kind of get in there and finish them up and go for it, especially because they weren't trying to interact with you very much at all when you're trying to just get to Winota on turn three. And uh, I don't know. I, I I feel like those mid-range decks, Mono Green Ramp and Niv probably have the biggest up arrows next to them. It seems like a lot of people think the same thing as that. I think that... You know, unfortunately, the expressive iteration decks, I don't know what's going to happen to Phoenix, or is it Control, really? I feel like there's a pretty big blow to both of those decks. It feels like Phoenix will probably be able to overcome it. Is it Control can probably reconfigure, but maybe Blue-White Control just becomes more important at this point anyway. I mean, it's a huge incentive to play Red-Blue. Expressive iteration was a huge incentive to play that those colors. And I think even if you look at the, the Is It Prowess list... I imagine a lot of the people who like that game style play will try the Boros Heroic slash Prowess deck that people like just to see if that works better for now or not. I mean, I I don't really count out something like Is It Prowess because I think people are still figuring out even how to optimize that build. I think just recently in this past weekend, you know, I'm starting to see more young pyromancers enter into the fray where it's like they can capitalize on just casting a ton of spells. There's just tons of one mana interaction. There's and expressive iteration is the only two mana spell in the deck. Yeah. I mean, I think that one thing is like Ledger Shredder is still a good card. Yeah. Right. And it's still probably going to go in an is a deck that wants to be aggressive and, and, 
get through your deck and use that to enable things. So it feels like there's probably some kind of shell there. Treasure Cruise is still good. So I'm looking at the, the is it Pyromancer list right now and also that. So, but I don't know. But I think the thing, I guess I would say it felt like those decks were on their way up. I don't feel like this means that they're on their, it definitely doesn't mean to me that they're on their way up anymore. Yeah, exactly. Though it's impossible to say with Winota <laughs> gone because the deck, those decks did struggle a little bit with Winota because it was hard to have main deck answers for, for sure. Winota, the card itself, and some of the other bigger threats. Yeah. So I think, you know, we're, we don't like to play the prediction game too much. So I think we can't possibly guess what's going to happen. I am, I think, a little bit more excited and less excited in some ways, where it's like, I think that not having to worry about. Winota and just like kind of worrying about mulliganing and a couple pieces of interaction all the time. But there's going to just be other decks I'm about to worry about when I mulligan too against. You know what I mean? Like right. I don't, I don't think that Winota was like some particularly messed up deck. I think it's just kind of like the the one of the best messed up decks that people had to play in the format. So I think we'll just be reminded what else is messed up in the format. Yeah. I forgot. Is it prowess has reckless rage, which kills Winotos? That's that's pretty good too. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> that's right? a good way around it. Yeah. So I we'll see. We'll see. Cool. Well, uh, Dave, thanks for time traveling with me to Tuesday to do this recording. But let's head back into our regular old episode. What's what's a dream hack? I still am trying to figure that out. My my general understanding of dream hack is they are like a an, a large esports organizer. And with their, they're, they're dallying and more than dallying in Magic now because they are the company that will be running the Pro Tours in the United States, at least. And so I'm sure those will be large events. And they are starting to have Magic side events. They're kind of, they're not just having like kind of main events. It looks like they're having, I looked at the list of events. It's like there, there's on-demand casual things. I think there's some, some, some sit and go, some drafts, things like that. So all the things you expect from a, a GP or an open type event, it looks like DreamHack is having. In addition, of course, to all the other things that DreamHack wants to offer, like the esports tournaments. I know the we were looking at Atlanta in November, which is the first Pro Tour, and I was like, oh man, they have like a giant land thing. You can like bring your own computer and like land, just land all weekend, play games and transfer files. I'm sure they're all legal. Just do wares. Yeah, do wares. What people call it these days, wares. Yeah, still? do the do the zero days. That sounds that sounds pretty cool. I mean, the so the one in Atlanta that's going to be the Pro Tour, right? And the format for that has been announced as Pioneer. Is that right? Yeah, that's so that's the big Pioneer Pro Tour, and so I'm we're definitely thinking about going to that one. But we had a number of people, two hundred and two entrants attend the Modern Ten K in Dallas this past weekend. So it's not exactly a huge number of people, but there are quite a few names in attendance that you probably know out there. Yeah, I would say 202 is about the size of a, um, isn't that about the size of the, of like a challenge, right? Yeah, it's like a challenge. Yeah. Yep. So some of the people that I know were there were like Everett Mohan, of course, Aspiring Spike. We've got Devin O'Donnell, Doomwake. We've got Zen Syed, we've got Dana Fisher, we've got Mason Clark, we've got Amaz, we've got Sol Malka. Yes, that's Sol Malka. And I'm sure more people who are out there whose names didn't immediately pop into my brain space. So this was an eight-round Swiss. And what I did is on the MTG Melee 
page. I looked at all of the top 64 decks. I opened every one of them. Or actually, some of them I just looked at the pop-up because right. you know you can hover over. That's really handy. So I wanted to make sure that people had named their decks correctly. I know there's a lot of weirdness with uh, the, the naming there. People. <laughs> Stop listen, messing with us. Listen to me. Stop messing with your content creators. Name your decks the right thing when you play on MTG Melee. You're only hurting yourself. You're only making people not want to cover your stuff or talk about your deck. They go, what's this, 10-rack? <laughs> Why is Yorian in 10-rack? Oh, wait. Oh, it's not. So uh, here's what the top 64 meta ended up looking like. We had 11%, 10.9%, if I'm being precise, Azorius Hammer. What? S- yep, 7.8% Jund Midrange. Hmm? 7.8% also is it Merktide and okay. 7.8% Teamer Rhinos. Okay. Then we got into 6.3% for both Azorius Urza Affinity and Boros Burn. Then we had 4.7% of the following. Ring to Light Scapeshift, Living End, Golgari Yawgmoth, and Amulet Titan. And then 3.1% of Azorius Control and Grixis Asmo Artifact type stuff. And then 28% Other. And Other is anything with fewer than two copies. So even stuff like Azorius Control and Grixis Artifacts, those were two copies each. Everything else is just one of us at 28%. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, sometimes it's easier in this in this sentence to just be like, listen, there were three Amulet Titan, three Golgari Yawgmoth, three Living End, and three bring to life scapeshift there were four burn four azorius urza affinity and then i guess five rhinos five Murtype, five john and from there i'm just saying seven seven hammer people don't get too confused by this because it wasn't just a top 64 so it wasn't like there was like 30 azorius hammer decks i mean there might have been however this meta meta breakdown is pretty different from what we've seen in most of the tournaments that we've seen for modern lately am i right Oh yeah, for sure. Like there's some some big surprises I think in in probably what showed up in the overall meta, but also what kind of converted to maybe the top third or so of of the of the tournament. What what was the most surprising thing or the the first couple things you noticed about this, Dave? Well, Hammer being at the top of the list is a surprise to me because that hasn't happened in a really long time. Yeah. Um Murktide not being at the top of the list is another huge surprise, of course. Yeah. Uh, I think beyond that, the fact that Bring to Life Scapeshift came up three times in the top 64 is pretty <laughs> pretty amazing. And also that Azorius Urza Affinity, which is a deck we've talked about a bit, but has been sort of on the outskirts of really breaking out is four times within the top 64 is pretty yeah. pretty amazing as well. Yeah, I feel like, I mean, Jun Midrange being at nearly 8% of the top 64, it's easy to say that, yeah, like people who play paper love their jund, right? But it doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to percolate up to the top. And here we saw a lot of jund. We'll talk about some jund in the, the top eight as well. And I mean, it's just this is just regular old style jund by and large. I think there was one copy at least with some uh, Urza stuff going on. But that's really something. Like th- th- this always starts a conversation, at least on Reddit or in my brain, where it's like, are online players just sleeping on Jund is just just like this just a consequence of a bunch of paper players just loving Jund and then this filters through where you just have so many people throwing darts that you get a couple of bullseyes or triple twenties. I wish I had a good answer for this. <laughs> I I do feel like some of it is that people have Jund and they like to play it. 
And there's some people who yeah. I don't think play a ton online. Although some of them do. Like I think Soul Maka play Malka plays online. Oh yeah, he um, always some, appears with some random mid range thing. It's like, right. oh, it's Soul, what's up? So the fact that he was on Jund, I don't think we should be too surprised about. Of course, uh, maybe we should be surprised that it was Jund and not, uh, you know, Golgari. Um, I don't, I don't have a good answer here. I feel <laughs> like Jund's going to do what Jund's going to do. You know what I mean? And and yeah. people, it is more popular in paper. We haven't seen it pop up quite this high in any of the other paper events that have happened recently. I mean, if you look, at, it's interesting to see the difference between some of these things. Like when we went to SCG you know, a couple months ago that, and also the energy trials tend to feel a lot like the magic online meta to me, you know, I think sure. that they still go in order and you know, the cascade decks are usually higher than they are in this one. Yogmoth is starting to be higher. And then stuff like Jund is lower. Urza affinity is lower. Scape shift is non-existent. I don't know if somebody feels like they have some tech there or something, but yeah. um, I, I don't, I think that probably, People who want to play mid-range online or doing rental services are just playing four-color is yeah. probably what's happening. And then Jund is getting left in the dust a little bit online anyway. That's kind of the biggest thing, speaking of like the four-color stuff, is that control is essentially nowhere. Like There's almost no elementals. There's no four-color blank. There's no like money, money pile style decks. There's one of each in the top 64. Yeah, I wouldn't say it's nowhere, though. Yeah. And then there's Foresha two that's called foreshadowing. Oh, a little bit of a tease. Yeah. Two copies of Azorius Control were in the top 64, but largely I'm a little bit surprised because I feel like frequently people in paper love showing off the bling. They love playing these style of decks. They're gonna have the fully foiled out elementals deck at the you know the top tables. But that was not the case here. And instead they probably had their fully foiled gen midrange. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just looking through some of the deck lists that didn't make the top eight, since I know we're going to talk about those now. You know, there's two Murktide decks that are just outside the top eight, the ninth and tenth place. One went six, one, and one, and one went six, two. Both missed the top eight cut. One of them has Ledger Shredder, so that's kind of a new thing that's going on in Murktide. There's a three of Ledger Shredder. And then one of them has three Season Pyromancer main. I haven't seen that yet, but that's a pretty interesting little piece of, of tech there. Um, not really seeing too much outside of the top eight decks. That's a huge new kind of piece of tech, though. You have a few cool decks, Inc. I've selected for some chit-chat about later. Some really spicy decks or just weird decks that I, I want to pick your brain about because I honestly can't figure one of them out. Okay. So, uh, also, I do want to... You mentioned the Urza Affinity and Bring Delight Scape Shift, and I feel like these are some pretty good Dark Horse picks for me like especially escape shift i just feel like it's always one of those decks that i feel is a little bit underappreciated i think the escape shift decks that are in the top 64 are all a little bit different but they just want to hit some land drops they they have like renin six and arboreal grazer and and or gross spiral they have like a little bit of controlling going on like prismatic ending or maybe some bolts or maybe like a supreme verdict or two yeah, usually they have supreme verdict as a bring to light target yeah and, you know, they have four Dryad of the Illusion Grove, of course, and they can all find their Scape Shift with Bring Delight. This is just kind of a really direct combo deck. Like, it doesn't have a ton of interaction. Like, it doesn't have, like, counter spells. It doesn't have, like, a bunch of Unholy Heats. It's just saying, hey, I'm going to take care of the, the worst offenders with my my multicolor mana base and then cast Scape Shift. Yeah, but what it does have, of course, is Teferi and Ren and Six and Omnath. 
yes. still as well. So Ren and Six or Ren and Six does its thing. Teferi helps against the Cascade decks and other decks that are trying to, you know, have interaction. It has good, you know, a good plan for you to be able to drop it and have it uh, pick up a target or something like that. And then it has Omnath for you to be able to get some value as well if you're trying to work your way to when you can actually drop a scape shift. So yeah, I mean I these are kind of like these are sort of essentially four color decks with with a combo end instead of instead of an elemental end or instead of Yorian for that matter. Um, so I think there's there's something there could be something there in that sense, but I, I don't know if we'll see it again. Yeah, I just I just really wonder how this deck is truly stopping what other people are trying to do. Like I understand that like Renin Six can ping something. I understand that Teferi Three can can stop some Cascade stuff for a while. But it's just like they have so little interaction and not a lot of like counter magic or, or things abilities to really stop what the opponent's doing besides scape shifting into the win. Yeah, I mean if they're not expecting a lot of counter spell decks though out there, you know what I mean? It can be a good choice in that sense because you know you you have some inevitability with this deck you're gonna get the lands that you need you're gonna be able to draw some cards with expressive iteration and then you're gonna be able to pick a tool that's right for the situation that you're in whether it means bring delighting into tybalt or whether it means bring delighting into supreme verdict or when you get to it if you get a chance to scape shift then you can kind of go, go from there right on so let's talk about our top eight why don't we sure so after your top eight yeah, it's interesting. It's it's a cool one. So after the Swiss, our top eight looked like this. In uh, we'll just go from first to eighth eighth seed here. So we have uh, Brandon Loser on Demir Mill. They went seven zero and one. This is mm. a very normal looking mill list to me. It doesn't do any of the you know Azorius or Esper type stuff. It's just kind of the classic Demir Mill as as we know it. Yeah, it's got one ensnaring bridge main. Which is a little bit different, I think. But other than that, oh yeah, I see that now. Very normal. Yeah. Then we have second place, David Wet Knight on Golgari Yog at seven and one. Uh, David has like the singleton Hapatra, but otherwise, this is kind of like the typical stock Golgari Yog looking list to me. Third, what, what does Hapatra do for you exactly in these lists? You don't see it all the time. What should someone think if someone plays a Hapatra against them? That. Uh, you hope you can remove it quickly because um, I mean, I'm not, I've never actually played Hapatra myself in this deck, but I, you know, talking to uh, Aaron and other Yog, Yog folks, what it can, because like, so what it does is whatever you put one or more negative one, negative one counters on a creature, you can create a one, one green snake creature token with death touch. So that effectively lets you do a lot of like loops because you're creating creatures that then give you sacrifice fodder. And it also has some interesting stuff where like, if like Hapatra of poison, if, if Hapatra deals combat damage to a player you may put a 1-1 counter on a target creature so like that lets you do some interesting stuff where you i think you can like cord into her at end of turn and then kind of untap and do some weird shenanigans where you you can just generate a lot of value off of just a two mana creature and so yeah i think the primary thing that, the primary thing that you're doing is the the sort snakes. of the, the, the snakes make Snake some loop. snakes yeah i love snakes that's what uh indiana jones says right you know, they call it they call it Ouroboros, the snake loop. Yeah. We call it yeah. snake loop around here. <laughs> uh, and then in third place, we had Travis Brown on Azorius Hammer at seven and one. This looks like a largely stock list to me. Interestingly, so they went for eighteen lands 
that's a little bit greedy, but it worked out for them. Uh, I think they have kind of like the flex protection piece. The They have three giver of runes in mm-hmm. there, which is always kind of a, a solid choice, I think, for an open field. Yeah, this is a totally stock-looking list to me. Yeah, Two Steel Shapers gifts, as that continues to move around, depending on what people Man, want to do. But it's so it random. Yeah, it's like sometimes it's one, sometimes it's three, sometimes it's zero, sometimes it's two. <laughs> Christopher Conant in fourth place on good old Jund midrange at seven and one. Very Jundy list. This is, uh, you know, it has even old classics like a Singleton Abrupt DK. Uh, they're running two Riveteers Charm. Yeah, that was the interesting thing about this list. And also a tireless tracker. Yeah, so very value-oriented. So let's let's read Riveteer's Charm for people who don't remember. So this is one of the first cards we've seen from Nuke Penna in this top eight. And what Riveteer's Charm does is it says, it's Jund, it's for an instant, it's black, red, green. And it says, target opponent sacrifices a creature or planeswalker they control with the highest mana value among creatures and planeswalkers they control. Sort of like a riff on Crackling Doom, so that's kind of nice to have access to. Two is exile the top three cards of your library until your next end step. You may play those cards so they can, quote unquote, draw three cards, which is not an effect you see in Jund very often, but that's a good thing to have access to. And then it has, the final mode is exile target player's graveyard. Yeah. I did watch the quarterfinals match that um, Christopher was in, that um, uh, Aspiring Spike was was one of the commentators on. And um, I, did, I got to see... Christopher uh, roll out three three cards pretty pretty great like kind of just refill his whole hand in one hand yeah. and playing Riveteer's Charm at the end of step to just kind of like reload and try to keep going so I don't know maybe that's a card that's worth worth bringing around worth keeping worth having the fact that it doubles his removal I think is helpful right yeah that's the thing it can handle a Merktide without like a Terminate or something like that so it's kind of your get out of jail card sometimes and otherwise, it's draw a bunch, or if you really want to take care of someone's graveyard, like against Living End or something like that, you have that. So it's a you know it's it's a good charm in that all of the modes are live for you. I think in in every one of your matches, especially just the quote unquote drawing three is kind of I think the, the default, and otherwise, it's just some value for you. Then in fifth place, we had Robert Wagner Crankle on Golgari Yogmoth at seven and one. This looks pretty stock to me. Sixth place, we have OZ or Oz Romero on Bring to Light Scapeshift. They went 6 0 and 2. So, like, I guess they just won 6 and drew into the top 8. Double draw. Yeah. Yeah. Their interaction only includes four Prismatic Ending and a Supreme Verdict, besides, of course, the four Ren and 6 and the three Teferi 3. They have the Singleton Valky, and they have the full four Bring to Light and a Scapeshift. I've seen some of the lists that were down the charts that we talked about earlier. They were only doing two or three Bring to Lights, which seems a little bit odd to me, where I feel like you just want that selection and that, that value piece of Bring to Light. But what do I know? Yeah, this, these are ones that you know escape me. The nuances of deck, con- deck construction for these definitely escape me. So, But yeah, one of our Bring to Light Scapeshifts made the top eight, so congratulations there. Seventh place, we have Mason Clark on four-color blink featuring Yorian. They also went six, zero, and two. This is an interesting sort of cross. Like it's it's like a couple different lists uh, in terms of it has a couple of ephemerate, 
but it's not like the blinky elementals as we kind of know it. There's no risen reef. This it has a couple eternal witnesses. It has, of course, you know, the Omnath and all those shenanigans. So it's kind of just a, a big value pile. Yeah, in my mind, this is a more controlling version of this deck than than yeah. some of the ones that we see that don't have eternal witness or you know, or load up on Risen Reef and stuff like that. I feel like this is the kind of shades of I'm going to try to play the long game and try to win the long game with this particular version of the deck. Um, it also exactly. has two, two main deck dress downs, which I don't think we're always seeing, but mm. dress down still a good card. Right on. Then eighth place, we have Sol Malka. Yes, the Sol Malka on Jund Saga been range six, one and one. If you aren't familiar with Sol and why we keep you know, talking about him in this uh, in this era of this era of reverence, he's basically the guy who made the rock a, a deck, like a famous deck at least. And he keeps seeing the seeming to pop up now and then, winning with some variant on Golgari midrange. Here, he decided to branch out into red cards, and this is a pretty novel list. Well, I think I think this is actually it's it's a novel list in a couple of ways, but it's really it's John. This is John Saga basically. And the thing that's novel about this list, at least in my mind, you tell me, Shane, what you think. But one is we're not trying to play with uh, Dragon's Rage Channeler, which John Saga does sometimes. We're playing with Ragavan, Tarmogoyf, and Tireless Tracker are the only creatures in the deck, which is pretty surprising. It's a pretty slim creature. Uh, creature suite for that, but I guess what you really do is trying to learn, lean into having as many, uh, you know, a little bit more into the saga tokens to be able to win, which is kind of what I saw happen. Saul trying to do in a couple of the matchups that he was he was playing when I saw him on coverage for sure. And what's really interesting though is that he seems. I mean, of course, Tireless Tracker is is a not super common inclusion in these decks. It's, it right. seems like it's a little bit slow. I mean, this card is what like five years old at this point. And and so it's definitely a soul card to me where it's like I'm going to grind out a lot of value with my tireless tracker and take over the game with with it as one of my options. But he's running uh, Yagantha as his companion. So mm-hmm. he's not running anything like Liliana the Veil, not running any Season Pyromancer, which are the kind of cards that I would be like, well, those are like the ultimate mid-range pilot cards where you want to just, you know, Season Pyromancer just seems like what you want to be doing in this deck. But uh, with y- Yagantha is... In, in this in the companion it's you know it's an eighth card why not yeah yeah i can understand that i mean just having access to a companion is sometimes just a broken thing as we've talked yeah. about a lot and even the sideboard has a few classics that aren't always around anymore like there's a couple collective brutality there's a couple scavenging ooze and one unlicensed hearst and there's some you know the usual expected and reasonable options wait, wait. scoos and hearst yeah it's, it's living, like peanut butter and chocolate living in harmony <laughs> <laughs> you don't want three scoos, you know what I mean? Like they do not work well in pairs. So yeah. So you I might mean, as well I, yeah. have a car that you can put a her, put a scoos into and have it drive it. Yeah. I love when my oozes drive my hearses. I mean the hearse looks kind of oozy, really. It's kind of it's it's very got some ground effects of ooze. So do you think that was on purpose? I think it might have been. Probably. That's just flavor, flavor win. And then uh so there's our top eight. We have Mason Clark win the tournament, takes down the, the tournament with the, the four-color controlling Yorian Blink Omnath deck. What do you think about this top eight, Dave? Lots of surprises here. I mean, two Jund in the top eight is really a big surprise. No Merktide is, is kind of gigantic. Two Yawgmoth is 
I guess getting less surprising these days. Like Yawgmoth is has been performing really well for a long time now. You know, at least in, on the order of like six to ten weeks. I think people have been t- consistently top aiding with it. So exactly not as surprised to see that anymore. But it's cool to see two of them. And then another. There's another one in the top twelve. There's another Yawgmoth in eleventh place. I mean. Demir Mill popping in for a for a little visit in a top eight <laughs> yeah. at the number one seed is really fascinating, especially with something that's just a stock version of the list. Not that every deck has to innovate in modern all the time, but um, you know, Mill really does have those days where it just can run really hot and just burn a bunch of people out with his mill spells. So, yeah, um, I think that that's cool to see for sure. Yeah, my understanding is that they kind of whiffed in the quarters quite a few times, like they they milled like half of someone's library with like a Tasha's hideous laughter and then just kind of bricked for a few turns and, and they, they had a, a lot of chances to win. Interesting. I mean, what do you think of this top eight? Hmm. Well, there's a lot of things I like about it, which is that we're getting some new players in to kind of be like, Hey, don't forget about me and like bring the light scape shift and you know, a Jun mid range and like a new version of Jun Saga. Azorius Hammer is like, hey, I'm still here. Golgari Yogmoth is continuing to prove that it's maybe not respected well enough or maybe not represented well enough. And yeah, I think it's it's a cool one. I, I like the fact that it's not just single handedly overrun with a bunch of Omnath style decks. So it just, I think, proves that the paper meta game like a 200 person tournament is still the people's meta it's the people's format where you can be an expert you can you can be soul and show up with you know decades of experience piloting mid-range decks and be like hey uh i'm still gonna cream you because i'm soul yep so i think that's 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 cool and that's what i think does make the format great uh consistently great time and time again is that as much as you think you know what's going to happen you don't because there's just so many different strategies and so many different cards and you could have a top eight with a couple tireless trackers in it and be like oh okay tireless tracker still 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 has it yeah that's unbelievable there are two people (laughs) playing tireless tracker now that you mention it tireless tracker in this economy in this economy in this part of the world so you said that you had a couple of cool decks for us i have a couple cool decks so Click these links, Dave. We've got 15th place, Jared uh, Gottschall. Yep. And this deck list on MTG Melee says it's called Other Deck Lists. <laughs> and this That's might how be, weird it is. This might be one of the most other deck lists I've seen in a while. <laughs> so it has some extremely sweet cards in it that... Um, yes. And cards that I think we've been waiting to see if they might have a home sometime soon. So Shane, yeah. take us through what we're looking at here. All right, so this deck has 32 creatures, and they include playsets of nearly everything. Vengevine, Oval Chase Daredevil, Mem Knight, Asmo, Ledger Shredder, Voldaren Epicure, Emery, and then two ofs of Reinforce Ronin and Riddlesmith. Uh, oh, Reinforce Ronin. Yes, so Reinforce Ronin. A card Ronin. you said would never be playable. Mm, I don't know if it is. We've got uh, Riddlesmith also is a one on the blue human artificer 2-1. Whenever you cast an artifact spell, you may draw a card. If you do, discard a card. So you get a little looty. Yeah, it's like we could, we weren't happy with four ledger shredders for Luton. <laughs> so now what we want is a... Um, this is a Scars of Mirrodin uncommon 
Riddle Smith to come out. That that little face mask that he has is is wild. I know they're they're creepy. Can we do that? Can we get that, Dave? Like for the podcast, like for cosplay, for headset. Yeah. Well, I was thinking more so we could do like our podcast in VR and like yeah, I was saying like we're sitting at a news desk. I think Andy could could hook us up with a headset like that. Andy, if you're listening, make us Riddle Smith headsets. Make us Riddle Smith headsets as bulbous as possible. Out of your old weird like Oculus ones. Uh, There's also, of course, some artifacts. We've got four Mishra's Bauble, three Underworld Cookbook, Teespring Leaf Drum, and an Aether Spellbomb, and then a couple Urza's Saga, and as well as you know some lands and whatnot. Yeah. So So I don't think that we've seen a food Vengevine list. I haven't seen one, at least. Have you? I mean, do you think this is like a food Vengevine deck? Or do you think it's just kind of like a... I mean, I'm looking at this as like, I'm a way to cast creatures that are artifacts and as often as possible, right? Because then I trigger my Vengevine. So like, I'm looting some stuff into the graveyard, or I'm, uh, you know, I'm getting my Daredevil into the graveyard. I'm getting my Vengevine into the graveyard. I'm even getting... Uh, Let's see, and like you know, Mistress Bobble and things like that stuff you can cast back with Emery is nice. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a combination of the value you get from food, the number of tokens you can make with food, and then have giant saga tokens to do some work. Or yeah. you can get pretty aggressive by having Vengevine as like a, a plan word that comes out of your graveyard. And then all these things that let you discard enable you to get Vengevine into your um into your graveyard so that you can attack with it later. So it does feel like not really. So I haven't, obviously we haven't seen how this played out at all. Maybe we could talk to Jared at some point in the future, but it's, it feels more like a weirdly, like a mid range Vengevine deck to me, where maybe you're going to do some food stuff at the beginning, get a bunch of, get a bunch of um, pieces of material out on the board. Yeah. Basically get yourself an underworld cookbook and then go to a spot where you can be like, okay, I'm going to, I have some creatures to attack with and then I'm going to drop a, you know, a zero casting cost creature, maybe cast something out of the graveyard with Emery. And then we're going to kind of go from, from there to, to make something happen. But all of this is set up to either discard things into the, into the graveyard or to make food tokens basically. Yeah. I like, you know, the reinforced run we, you know, kind of, threw that one away in the in the list but what i like about it is it returns to your hand at the end step right so yeah you can just cast it as a single red mana creature and then yeah. that's one of your triggers for vengevine it's a repeatable trigger for vengevine as well which is nice yes it is so i don't know how if you ever played vengevine when it was like bridgevine but th- what this reminds me of in this deck is um god what's that card i'm suddenly forgetting what it's called the one that casts a single black grave crawler yeah it's a single black that you can cast when you have a zombie yes right? exactly and that's kind of what this is is that it's a single red repeatable creature trigger that lets you bring your venge finds back over and over again while you're trying to do other stuff and it's kind of like landfall of, or something for your right for your blood ghast. yeah and also because with emery you can cast reinforced roman out ronin out of your graveyard if you need to yep. if it dies for some reason so you can bring it back and try to start the whole loop all over again yeah, it's a cool use of the card. I think the the deck looks sweet. I I'm glad that they were able to get fifteenth place with this because uh, I like interesting concepts that are are successful. So good on Jared. I like Vengevine. I'd love for Vengevine to be yeah, right. decent. I have a playset just waiting. And then here's the here's the real one that I I just need your help on, Dave. It's thirty third place. 
uh, Lee Hong Nguyen on Karn Prison Control. Okay, so I literally have not looked at this deck before. Perfect. Now, and so let's get a real time reaction. You're as, you're as good as you're as good as me. Yeah, I'm, I'm ready. This deck. I, I'm gonna let's see where this goes. Okay, Shane, tell people what are in this deck. <laughs> okay, it, it's it's the registration error looking deck um, where the the only actual cards in this deck are four Karn the Great Creator, four Spellskite, and a single Walking Ballista. And then there's like a pile of artifacts, a handful of which are tutorable with the four Urza Saga in the deck. So here's what's not tutorable. We've got four Chalice of the Void, four Mystic Forge, three uh, Ensnaring Bridge. We've got three Maze Mind Tome. And then we've got a Ratchet Bomb, a Torpor Orb, and a Crucible of Worlds, all just there in the deck. Okay. And then stuff that Saga can find are four Expedition Map, two Relic of Progenitus, a Shadow Spear, a Pithing Needle, a Welding Jar, a Sorceress Spyglass, if you want another Needle Effect, and then a Springleaf Drum to keep your mana at parity. I guess if you have one of your Spellskites or Walking Ballista to tap with your Springleaf Drum, I suppose. And then the sideboard is kind of... You know, the Karn the Great Creator wishboard package, where it has like a couple defense grid and an ensnaring bridge and a Trinosphere, Witchbane Orb, Liquid Metal Coating, Walking Ballista, Welding Jar, etc., etc. It's got some interesting wow. pieces there. Like, it has like some locky type pieces, like where it has a possessed portal, where like if a, it's an eight mana artifact, or if a player would draw a card, that player skips that draw instead. At the end of each turn, each player sacrifices a permanent unless he or she discards a card from his or her hand. So that can lock your opponent out of the game while you can be drawing cards with things like your Mystic Forge or you know casting cards with that or other ways of, of getting value, tutoring up more stuff with your card and the great creator while your opponent's kind of locked out. Uh, it wow. also has like a Cursed Totem, which is a... Two mana artifact that players cannot play any creature abilities requiring an activation cost. So just like a few little interesting weird things to try to just, I think, lock your opponent. But I don't really know how this deck wins games. Like, I don't, so I, I don't see any combo here. It's not anything weird. It's got to be Saga tokens. Yeah, just basically, right? right? Like, yeah, just huge just artifacts. Winning over the long term with Saga tokens. And yeah, I think this is just basically like, you know, I think think for a long time people were kind of like is there going to be a deck that has all these urza lands in it together in one place urza saga and power plant mine tower and maybe this is just it right like this is pretty interesting yeah it's it's interesting pretty interesting prison style deck here for sure yeah um, i mean it's cool like i mean i think these are all these are all cool cards and i think i you know the the main the main idea i think is to do some kind of like takes us back to sort of the red prison concept, but it just has a lot fewer pieces to be prisoning out your opponent without, you know, without just sort of naturally drawing them. But well, I mean, it has saga and then has expedition map to get to whichever, whichever one you want of the Urza lands. Yeah. You know what I mean? Point. It has ghost quarter that you can use with crucible of worlds to really dominate people's people's game there. If you, if you need to, now you can't search those pieces up, like you said, but yeah. you can search up, Ghost Quarter with Expedition Map, if you have Crucible of Worlds. You can also use Crucible of Worlds to replay Urza's Saga, which is kind of an interesting thing, too. So there's just a lot of little synergies going on here 
this seems like a deck that we won't see again sometime yeah. soon, I would say, just because I feel like this is probably really, really hard to play. Yeah. I kept like looking for things where it's like, are there ways to like put some of these artifacts into exile and then like Karn can tutor them up by like sort of, you know, cheating them where it's like not just in your wish board. It's like you, you put it out of the game, but I couldn't find any sort of synergy in that fashion. So I think it's just, Hey, I've got a bunch of artifacts. I'm going to draw chalice sometimes when I need it. I'm going to gain a lot of advantage with mystic forge, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. I was going to say, you know, mystic forge is a card that has seen play in like vintage, I believe like it's good enough to see play in, in older formats because the artifacts are so broken so, oh, look, there, there is a way to exile it, actually. Mystic mm. Forge exiles cards. Oh. Well, I guess you wouldn't want that, though, because then why would you search it up with Karn? You could just cast it <laughs> yeah. if you're going to cast it. So that, so that doesn't work. You know, you can tap it and pay a life to just, like, exile cards over time and then sort of, like, get an, an extra version of a Wishboard card. Like, maybe you tap it and you exile, like, an Ensnaring Bridge, and then you're like, well, hey, I can sort of double dip. I can go or, get it whenever I want yeah, later instead. Kind of stuff, yeah, Yeah, that makes sense. If I don't want to cast this right now, move it out of the way, but I can still cast it later since there's so many artifacts. Hey, we solved it. Yeah, we That's did. what it is. But, I mean, I was what the reason I was bringing it up, though, was because I think Mystic Forge is a card that is very powerful that people try to brew around. And so, you know, this is a good shot at, like, what happens if we make a shell that's just really about maximizing Mystic, Mystic Forge and Karn in modern? Maybe maybe this yeah. is just what it is. All right. Well, those are a couple cool decks, Inc. And I guess because we talked about some paper tournaments, we also want to talk about the upcoming uh, Nerd Rage Gaming NRG event, right? Yeah. I just wanted to say, you know, watching paper coverage on DreamHack was great. You know, it's nice to be able to do it. And it just reminded me, and plus we've been talking with the, the lovely people at Nerd Rage Gaming a little bit lately. You know, we have a really good uh, organizer that's putting some effort into building a tournament series for the Midwest, at least here in Chicago, you know, and, and a little bit farther out than that as well in Nerd Rage Gaming. So I just wanted to say, you know, I think that we should, we just wanted to promote them and tell people, hey, you know, if you're around this area, you should consider reaching out. It's a good series of paper tournaments they seem to be trying to they're trying to do a good job run a really good tournament series in a space where i think there's a lot of people who just kind of aren't running tournaments as much as they used to anymore and, and nerd rage is there they do coverage a lot of great players go to these events a lot of people that we see around the chicago area and the midwest and even farther you know we know that there are people in our discord that fly out to where these events are to go to them um, i think it's really worth going to and it's very late for us to mention this since this episode will probably come out on Thursday, but there is a modern trial in Lansing, Michigan on Saturday to 10 K. If you would like to go, you should, I think you should definitely go. I've been to nerd rage events before and they're really well run. I think they're really good. Right on. So check them out. Twitch.tv slash NRG series. Um, you know, we've been talking with them a little bit. Uh, you might see our name on their coverage as well, but we think they're worth supporting. So just check them out we'll, and look for us to do a post-mortem on the event next week too. Right on. So Dave, let's head on out of this breakdown segment and then we'll come back and focus on Rakdos mid-range in Pioneer. So stay with us. Dave. Yeah. So I was I was again shaving this morning, my Monday morning before work shave. 
So are you up to two or three times a day you're shaving just yeah. to be able to use these wonderful products from Barrister Man or what? I mean, my face, my face would hurt if I didn't use the quality products of Barrister Man. But no, I mean, more. It's, it's like three times a week, which is a lot for me. Can I tell you something? Please. When I, I could shave twice a day. Yeah. I, it's crazy. Your face makes a lot of hair. Yeah, I mean, it, it was way more noticeable when it was brown. <laughs> now that it's white, you know, you can't really tell as much. But seriously, when I, I would shave uh, uh, in the morning and go to school, go to elementary school, and then, uh, and then by, by the end of by snack time, I would have, uh, I would have a, sh- a shadow again. That's, that's really something. Yeah, Dave, I'm looking at my, so I have like a profile photo of you in my, in my phone. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's a number of years old at this point, And your, your beard is very brown. You yeah. just have like a little tiny, little tiny white streak. White, white. Now it's all white. Yeah, that's what kids do to you. Yeah, they they suck the life out of you. Anyway, <laughs> like little vampires. But uh, now, one thing that's bringing me life these days—that's that's barrister man. <laughs> that's what, what what a smooth transition. But no, um, what one, one thing I've been thinking a lot about barrister man because when I go shave now, I like I have to pick. Like you know, we I have like four different shave soaps. I have a couple different aftershave bulbs. I've got like an aftershave uh, sort of, you know, tonic type thing. And I get to pick and I have, I'm forced to pick, I guess I, I guess I could make, I just mix them as the soaps, but I, what I don't think that no will would appreciate you mixing. That's alchemy. My friend, yeah, like just yeah. like the format, you don't want to go there, but, uh, that's, I think, a big thing about Barrister and Man that I find really nice about it is not only does Will over at Barrister and Man have a good fleet of kind of stock scents where it's like you can find something that matches kind of the your personality and the things that you like to smell the way you like to smell. What I think what's interesting about shaving soap, just as a side note, is that I think people think that if I use this soap, I'm going to smell like this all day. Like it's kind of like a cologne and really it's not because it's sort of, to me, almost like lighting a candle as you're doing the shave where it's like you you get the smell, you get the experience and you get to enjoy it while you're using it. And then it kind of quickly fades off because it's more about the, the aftershave balm or the fragrance, which Barrister Man also sells, that kind of gives you sort of your all-day type smell. And so you can kind of use whatever soap that floats your boat, and you're not going to like smell like whatever that smell is very long, which I think is cool. But that is a great thing about Barrister Man is that the variety of scents and the variety of fragrance families and the type of fragrances, and Will goes very deep on these. You know, he's going to be like, here's a, here's a fougere. Here is uh, an aquatic. Here is kind of a, a classic, you know, scent like almost like a you know, like an old spice or something like that. And you can really find something that fits your personality and fits kind of your your mentality that you might want to have for the day, your scent of the day. And so one of the things that, uh, and then also one of the things that Will keeps doing is these seasonal scents. And like, you know, we see them promoted on Instagram and things like that, or he sends them to us where you're going to get something special where it's like, it's only going to be out for a few months and then it's going to rotate back out. And so you can snag those if it sounds cool to you. And then if you miss out, you're going to have to get it next time. And so I think that that is the kind of thing where if you're into, it's not limited edition, but it's kind of limited time that you can just find something fresh and new. And that's a, that's a really cool thing to me where it's not just something that you're going to be able to get all year. You don't just go to the the department store and, and nab. It's like a, it's a, it's a, it's a custom experience. Yeah. And Will, the the best thing about Will, as we've gotten to know him, I think is Will is a nerd. Okay. He, like us, he's like a, he's into the stuff he's into. 
he <laughs> loves to put magic vibes out into the into the products that he sells with these beautiful Bearish Man products. But there's also other stuff on the website. If you don't want shaving gear, that's totally fine. As we talked about before, hand and body soap is great. There is a, it's the there's a pump soap that we just use in our bathroom here now that my kids use every day that smells like oh, really pumps wonderful. Yeah, he he sends has sent those out in my care kits a couple of times. There is a towel on here. Oh, yeah, the towel. There's a shaving towel on here that you can buy. That this is a nerd towel. This is a nerd towel that is wonderful. I think if you love Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, yeah, it just has the number forty two on it, and it says space <laughs> is big, really big. And if you know about Hitchhiker's Guide, is that the first line of Hitchhiker's Guide? I don't remember that for sure, but having a towel is very important, and the number forty two is very important, and I, that's fun, you know. It's, it's a good time. So I yeah, definitely go check out Barrister and Man if you're in the mood for s- fragrance, shaving, soap, or towel products. <laughs> There's only one towel, but it's a great towel. Check out Barrister and Man, Barrister and Man with two ends.com. Use code the dive down 15 to get 15% off your first order. And we thank you for your support. Dave, speaking of 15, I've got a deck for you that's 13% of the meta share. So why don't we get into that? in the dive down. Shane, you know what time it is? Uh, it's tool time. It's time to get mid. Oh, okay, okay. We're okay, just going to oh, get real mid. Oh, okay. Mid. How do you get mid? You're a real Al Borland, though, to me, Dave. Oh, am I? I'm Al? <laughs> I don't think so, Shane. Anyway, yeah. So, yeah. It's let's get mid. I think it's something that we have we have both done over the course of our magic careers to more or more mostly less success. I'd say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's got different moments of being good for you or for yeah. for, for the world. For the world. Yeah. Uh, moments where I really enjoy it. You know, I've had moments in modern... I was just looking up mid on a certain website to make sure we weren't saying something awful that's, <laughs> that is bad. I, I just wanted to check all of the meanings of the word mid to make sure we're okay. Uh, if we're not, we're sorry. We tried to check. This is um, what people in their 40s have to do now. Oh, my God. Yeah. I'm always... I'm always... I'm checking things. I'm, I just want to be sure. I want to be a kind person. You know, I saw a kid this weekend who drew a sign on the, uh, the sidewalk that just said, uh, if you're going to be anything, be kind and... That's that's what I'm trying. Yeah, that's a good ethos. It's a very mid thing to to do. Um, so yeah, I've had fun times with with mid range in modern for sure. Playing Rakdos mid range with Luris and kind of peak Modern Horizons two era was a pretty good deck for me. John at different points in time has been fun, although I haven't really won very much with John, especially not as much as I have with straight up red black. I've definitely gone to time a lot playing OBS on mid-range and paper like five, six years ago. I mean, that was kind of one of your first loves in Magic and in Modern, I think. Yeah, one of my give, first give hates. me some Lingering Souls. I played a deck. I played against uh, OBS on Control, by the way, <laughs> in the in the, one of the leagues that I did with uh, with Rakdos. And I, I still hate Cedrino. Still hate Cedrino <laughs> after all these years. Anyway, so... We're going to talk about mid-range in Pioneer today, focusing on Rakdos, like we said in the intro, and many times since since then. Pioneer, you know, it's still a format we're kind of dipping our toes into. So we thought it would be interesting to take a look, given our surprise last week, that Rakdos is the second most played deck in Pioneer. Second most played deck in Pioneer. It's 13% of the meta, according to Magic Goldfish. And also, MTG Goldfish. Also, Stan was off this week, and we knew that we could get away with just two old dudes talking about 
old ways Thoughtsies. to play magic. Yes, I want yeah. Thoughtseize. While Stan was was like, why why can't I talk about expressive iteration? Oh, <laughs> they are sort of like diametrically opposed. Thoughtseize versus expressive iteration till the end of time. Yeah, one of the, actually one of the funniest things in the DreamHack coverage I saw our most interesting was in the finals when it was Solmalka on Jun Saga versus Mason on Force Four Color. Um, they were talking about how badly the matchup was looking for Jund, basically. And Everett said, you know, one of the old lines about Jund is that it can't beat a divination. <laughs> and I thought that was pretty interesting that, you know, having a deck that's kind of like one-for-ones and a few two-for-ones has a really hard time with with that. But I uh, found that to be true a little bit playing for this sure. deck. Yeah. So we're going to talk about the deck, what it's been like to play it, how we think it fits in the format. Uh, and then, like we said, we're going to talk a little bit about why it might be popular right now. Why, why we think it might be something that people are gravitating towards do a little speculation, but first in interest of bringing people along for the entire journey, in case there are people newer players to magic listening to this right now, what is a mid range deck, Shane? What does that mean? Oh my gosh. What does that mean to you? You know, what's funny is like, I think this is actually a question that some people like might actually, this is a question some people might actually wonder where it's like, because mid-range is not a super popular way to really engage with the game right now. Yeah. Later on, we're going to talk about what a tempo deck is too, so get ready for that. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I think what mid-range is all about trading resources, trading cards in ways where eventually you come out ahead, right? You're just sort of like eking out small amounts of value with your generic, light, mostly generically powerful cards where you're getting mana advantages, you're getting card advantages, you're getting a you know, little bit of tempo advantage here and there, and then able to eventually use all those small bits of advantage to be the one card or one turn ahead where you can close the game out. Yeah. And so to be really clear, because doesn't it sound like a lot of magic is about resource trading, yeah. right? And a lot of decks have the tools to do resource trading. But the thing that most mid-range decks don't have Sometimes they do, occasionally, but what they mostly don't have are synergistic plans that they yeah. are trading resources in service to. Good point. right. Does that does that make sense? Like they're not trying to build up to a big turn. We're not trying to pull off some kind of combo. We're we're not even trying to be aggressive and get out ahead really early where we have a bunch of cards that get bad later in the game because of that. What we're trying yeah. to do is answer our opponent's cards until we do it enough times that we get ahead. Yeah, like the combo is keep the board clear until I untap with my creature land. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Empty your hand while I still have cards in my hand without me playing any cards that draw cards. Yeah. Essentially. Usually. Yeah. So how does a deck go about actually doing that? Like what kind of cards are in most mid-range style decks? Yeah. Well, we're going to go through it in a lot of detail sure. from here, but there's generally a few different categories. One is re removal, right? Yeah. Creature slash permanent removal of different kinds. Another one in these type of decks tends to be hand disruption, mm -hmm. of course. And we're going to talk a little bit about hand disruption. And then the last thing that's in there are the cards that tend to close your your games out for you, creatures. Yeah. And it's so it's pretty simple. Creatures, planeswalkers, creature lands, that kind of thing. And I, I think the thing that I notice most when I'm looking at these decks is kind of efficiency where it's like, you know, you, because you're losing synergy, 
you're trying, I think, to gain on efficiency. So like you're killing two mana creatures with a one mana removal spell. You're taking out a four mana planeswalker with a two mana removal spell uh, and so on. You know, trying to double spell and gain tempo or mana advantage back, things like that. And then, like you said, when trying to then cement that advantage and, and roll that advantage into the end game and, and close the door. Yeah. And I think the big thing here, if you think about evaluating the cards that end up in decks like this, it's value, right? Like, what's the value of the card that I'm playing versus the number of cards that I can answer with it versus, you know, you said efficiency. I think about that like value, like my cost to power ratio is wanted to be as high as possible, but but I want them to be generically good. It's not for specialized cards. It's not for cards that are tricky. Usually it's really for what are just the cards that are good when I read them and I go, Oh, that's a, that's a reasonably good and useful magic card. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Reasonably good is kind of the name of the game. I think we'll talk a lot about reasonably good cards uh, as we go through this deck dive. Yep. So let's, let's hop in and talk about, you know, I think the first place that we should really start with this is something that is the most, distinctive kind of element to decks like this and that would be the fact that they have hand disruption with them so in the red black decks generally they just have four thoughtsies in them however list i was playing happened to have one main duress which you know we can talk about whether that's good in pioneer they tend to have additional duress in the sideboard or all their duress in the sideboard and then also you know like three go blanks so you're really looking at out of the 75 you're looking at nine or ten cards that are devoted to disrupting hands and that's not even to mention uh Kroxa, who we'll talk about later in the creature area as well exactly so why is this so key to the black base mid-range strategy well i mean i think the weirdest thing about this and these decks in pioneer particular is that they don't have any one drops they don't have anything that they do on turn one that's proactive okay so they have removal they have fatal push they have blood chiefs thirst they have other options like strangle yeah we'll talk about those in a little bit but the only proactive cards that they have to do on the first turn are hand disruption effects whether it you know generally thought sees and definitely thought sees occasionally duress depending on if you're post sideboard or not um, and I think what they are is they're they're really important to be able to get a look at your opponent's hand, see what their plan is, and also be able to try to disrupt them for cheap, basically. Now, you go down a card, and they go down a card, and you lost a turn, and they didn't. Yeah. So, you know, these cards are only good at certain points in time, really, but they can be really, really power- powerful. Um, and as I, as I was kind of reminded, playing this deck in Pioneer specifically right now. Yeah. You can do a lot of interesting tempo gains with a card like Thoughtseize, where you can you know your hand, and then you know your opponent's hand. And so you can say, well, what do I have at what mana that allows me to potentially double remove something that's more expensive, where I'm going to take this, if maybe I'll take this one drop threat, so that they have nothing to do on turn one, then turn two, I can cast something and or leave up another piece of interaction or thought sees the three drops that they have to cast the two drop and then kill that with my fatal push. And so it gives you a lot of benefit where you generally understand the first few turns your opponent is likely to make and then able to craft the game plan by removing what you think is is best for you to then 
gain advantage back or like your spells match up the best way they can against the the hand that they have at that point in time. Yeah. Yeah, I mean and that's that's what you want to want to be doing. So you you want draws where you have a thoughtsies, I think. Now, as we've talked about, you know, when there's only a four of in a 60 card deck, you're not guaranteed to have one of these in your opener. Yeah. So there are a lot of turns with this. There are a lot of opening turns with this deck where you just are like land go. You know, and that's fine, I guess. In Pioneer, it it would be pretty backbreaking in modern and is pretty backbreaking in modern. And that's why the modern version of this deck has one drops like Ragavan and things like that in it for you to have access to. But in Pioneer, it's a little slower. So our curve starts essentially at two in a lot of ways yeah. here. I think there's a lot of reasons for that too, where it's like you don't always want to be tapping out for like let's say let's just say randomly like a soul scar mage or something like that where you're like i'm gonna put something down that allows me to get some pressure going right right but then your opponent untaps and they play like a, a one drop that you want to be able to kill or something like that or like a two drop and so like it's you almost always want to be doing that kind of like at the end of your turn where it's like, I'm going to, I'm going to represent a fatal push. If they put a mana dork out into the world, it's going to die. Then I can untap and do something with my two mana. Yeah. And that's precisely what's going on in pioneer right now. And I think yes. a big part of, well, you know, no spoilers. We'll talk about it later, but you know, holding up removal, instant speed removal, specifically fatal push to kill somebody's Lanawar elves is a huge <laughs> yeah. part of something that you're thinking about in pioneer at the moment. Push the right? elf. Push the elf. Yeah, push the elf. I think, I mean, there's other things too where it's like there can be a snowball-y type creatures where it's like, uh, you know, mana elves in general, because there's eight elves in Pioneer. There's not just the, the four as an explorer. Yeah. So, and that's something that you really want to be able to stop people's mana development. You want to be able to take care of uh, other high value one drops. Like if it's something more synergistic, like let's say it's, uh, you know, a human or, uh, even some rogue deck where it's like, maybe it's like an elf or something like that, where it's like, Hey, I need to take care of these the creatures that are going to quickly snowball out of control. And so I don't necessarily want to be casting a one drop that can just eat a red removal spell for value. And that's one of those things where you're just, you're just giving mana advantage or mana parity back to your opponent. And that's not something you always want to be doing in a deck like this. Yeah. And we'll talk about that a little bit more when we get deeper into removal, but for now, why don't we talk a little bit more how good is thought seizing in in pioneer right now especially versus you know there's been a lot of talk lately about like is thought seize good in modern <laughs> right now like is it good if you're just in a value deck and uh, michael rapp you know guest of the friend of the show wrote an article for card kingdom last week that was basically kind of saying hey you know just playing thought seize on itself really isn't is really isn't good enough anymore if you're going to play it in death shadow fine but cards in modern are too generically good and too replaceable for each other. They're all of a high power level that a lot of times if you thought see someone, you're really not disrupting their plan all that much unless they're on a combo of some kind. And even those combos, they tend to be resilient and have ways to recover and all those kind of things now. And they tend to be the decks that actually benefit the most from playing Thoughtseize because they can go, or Thoughtseize or Grief or some kind of hand disruption because they can take your hate piece. Yes, exactly. But, um, but Pioneer's a different ballgame, I think. 
Sure. I mean, to me, it it depends. I mean, that's kind of like the most generic answer, right? Like, there's some decks where like turn one thoughtsies punches a hole in their hand. It gets rid of like a grease fang, a Winota, a mana dork, a fires of invention, like whatever. But then there's like decks, like you said, that even in Pioneer are going to have redundancy, like a, a mono red or like an is it Phoenix or like a spirits deck, where there isn't really like a single linchpin card. Or like I take this and it stymies their game plan. It's just like I basically had a one mana removal spell that cost me two life. And like, you know, even against something like Azorius Control, like a turn one Thoughtseize honestly never feels that amazing to me because they often have cards that do similar things, right? Like like they're gonna have like maybe a March of Otherworldly Light, a portable hole, a fateful absence. Those are all things that do similar effects where you're like, well, um, they're gonna remove my creature whatever I play, uh, maybe they're going to have, if you take like a four or five mana planeswalker, they have plenty of other things to be doing and even drawing into another like planeswalker as they're, as they're going about doing that. So like a few turns from now where you're like, yeah, this is the most generically powerful thing in their hand. And I might not have like a dread that's going to take care of that. Uh, or something like that. So like, I don't, so it's like one of those things where sometimes it does great work and sometimes it feels like, uh, I hope this works out and I hope they don't redraw that card. <laughs> yeah. Well, don't do it on magic online since you know what happens when you make someone discard yeah. something on magic yeah. online. They always redraw it. Don't they? It's the bug man. me in the chat. Yeah. It's funny. I, I do feel like I understand what you're saying. I do think sure. that's just sort of like the double-edged sword of playing with thoughtsies anyway. Yeah. But, I just feel like there's a lot more moments in here where you can grab a card that's clearly more powerful than the other cards in their deck are. And whether that's, I mean, you know, and I think every deck has something that's maybe not necessarily like their payoff that you're taking, but it can be their, you know, their value engine, the best card in their their deck that kind of helps them go like grabbing expressive iteration from a deck that thought they were going to be able to express their expressive iteration on curve is pretty good you know especially since you're doing that you're messing up their plan on turn three and then kind of you have information about what threats you can play from there isn't it wild how it's almost always right to take expressive iteration like yeah. like such a like innocuous looking two mana spell it's just like yeah I, I probably should be taking this because if they're able like it's one of the spells that they can recover from a thoughtsies so powerfully like if you yeah. if you thoughtsies them and then like a turn or two later they they redraw into an expressive duration you're like oh my god that was my card was useless like yeah less yeah. than useless yeah it's not great i mean i will say uh, ever again to refer back to the coverage from dreamhack last weekend he said that he thought expressive iteration was one of the top five most powerful cards in modern yeah, I'd agree. Which means it's a great card. It's got it's just one of the best cards uh that's floating around right now for sure. And I think that you know time has proven that. But I, I do think there's always a way to punch up there's there's more ways to punch plan holes in their plans in Pioneer than there is in in modern. And then, you know, looking at the rest of the discard suite, I think it's pretty interesting. You know, in some ways Pioneer is solely sorely missing Inquisition of Kozilek. In some ways, I think this format would be terrible if there, yeah. there was access to another <laughs> yeah. another set of of one mana discard cards. You just cards. never do anything and feel sad about it. Yeah. So having duress around, you know, duress is a, a certainly a fine card. You know, I think that as a sideboard option to be able to turn up the amount of of discards that you have against. You know, I love I bring these in against control quite often yeah. to be able to just have you know take their their spells away from them and or make them force them to play a counter spell when they don't want to and things like that 
So I think that it's really good to have an option for that. It's definitely specialized. It's nice that it can can get rid of planeswalkers, which you know can be a weird thing sometimes. Um, How about mind then, rot, Dave? How about mind rot? Mind rot. I mean, go blank. Mind rot was a card that I wanted to talk about a little bit, just because so surprised that this is such a staple of the sideboard enough that it's worth putting three in your deck. Now, yeah, it gets rid of the graveyard. Yeah, and that's, that's great. That's the gravy. One shot. Yeah, one shot gravy thing. But I, as a someone who played a, spent a lot of time playing limited. Yeah, for years, you know, I I do think that the mind rot kind of play in limited was kind of underrated. Yeah, and I think it can be kind of under. Yeah, two for one. It costs three mana. Sure, this one definitely has that kind of additional thing where it disrupts your opponent's plan, but it can be really, really good to just get someone down. You're trading resources, trading resources, and they think they're in the clear, and then you're just like discard the last two cards that you have with one of my cards. It can be. It's I really like it against companion decks. Because it's one of those things where frequently they're drawing their companion into their hand kind of late game. They might have two cards left in their hand. You cast your go blank and they're just like, well, poop a doop. I got to discard this companion that I, I spent resources to put into. And then if it's something like, you know, a Grease Fang or any kind of deck that has some kind of graveyard recursion, uh, you know, which happens more than you think. Like Azorius Control has flashbacky type spells like Memory Deluge and other things. There's a lot of cards that you, it's a graveyard. It's been powerful in magic for oodles of years. And so being able to have a, a two for one against mid range, against control, against other kind of, you know, decks like Phoenix or something like that, that are trying to get graveyard value. It, it, there's a lot of utility there, which I think is why it's typically like a three or four of, because it's just, it's a high value. Yeah. All right. So that's it for that. Yeah. We spent a lot of time. We spent more time than I anticipated talking about like three hand disruption spells. How good Thoughtseize is. <laughs> There's only two of us to prove it is my favorite how spell. good Thoughtseize is. It is my favorite. Is it? It's my favorite one mana spell for sure. Can't be. Yeah, it's really? the best. It's the most, it's, wow. it's the most decision intent. It's like the most innocuous looking thing that can like make or break so many games. Yeah. All right. Next up. Removal. The rest of the spell The suite. good stuff. Yeah, is essentially removal in the in these decks, right? There's there's a couple of exceptions to that. We'll get into those in a minute, but you know the typical suite that people seem to be playing. I, the deck list I played was doing. And I forget the name of the pilot. I'm so sorry who that was. It was someone I picked up from a prelim. I'm looking at a Pioneer Challenge list that from McWin Sauce. Yeah, McWin Sauce, well, Magic list, Online yeah. player, and uh, same thing in in this list. It's four Fatal Push, one Blood Chief's Thirst, and three Dreadbore Main, and then the sideboard. You know. I've seen Rave Enfeeblement, Feed the Swarm, Legion's End, Noxious Grasp, uh, Coligan's Command. McWinsauce happens to have three Noxious Grasp and no no uh, Rave Enfeeblement, which means not too worried about Winota, I guess. But, you know, there's also Strangle that people occasionally play. McWinsauce happen- from this weekend happens to have one Strangle in his list. And then we got Bonecrusher Giant, of course, that we can talk about later. But Bonecrusher Giant does a, your impression of a shock as well. Uh, it's a yeah. lot of removal. Yeah, you know, it's like sixteen cards <laughs> yeah. of removal. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah, I mean, and and this is really key for a deck like this because it's not trying to beat the opponent down with a swarm of small creatures. It's saying I'm going to stop those style of decks and be able to interact with what my opponent's doing and keep getting like these chip shots in with my creatures that are pretty well statted. And so you need to be able to keep the board clear to 
get those hits in with your smaller suite of of somewhat larger creatures. Yeah. Yeah, and then of course because it's pioneer and because the spells are not as efficient, we can tap into the weird color hate cycles that exist for our sideboards to be able to patch up against matchups where we really need it. And that's what Noxious Grasp is. That's what Chandra Chandra's defeat yeah. is one of Chandra's defeat in this McWin sauce list. Ray of enfeeblement, color hate. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that that's the kind of stuff like where I almost like it. I, I like it and don't like it because you know, I always say that I, I don't love the draw your sideboard cards or lose type thing. I don't think those are quite that, where it's like, I didn't draw my Noxious Grasp, and therefore I'm going to lose right. against this mono green deck, because you do have plenty of other options. It's just like you gain efficiency, which is one thing I do like about decks like this, where it's like, I have an initial game plan, and then I can further tailor my game plan against the decks I'm playing, where I'm gaining more mana efficiency, I'm gaining an instant speed instead of a sorcery speed, I'm gaining some life or some other incidental value, things like that. Yeah, I was. I, I think that that's one of the cool things about Pioneer, and we, I've seen, we've said this a few times. It's just you know, there are some color hate cards that make their way into modern. Like, of course, there are you know, Mystical Dispute and other things like that. The ones that are really, really good do anyway. But having this as a tool set within the whole format, where it's a, it's a trade off. It's like okay, I our removal, our interaction overall is less good than modern right yeah. now. Hopefully, it stays that way for a while. And so we have to reach out to play these these cards, and they require interesting decisions in deck building, right? And also, you have to know exactly how many matchups they're good against. Because I think sometimes people are like, okay, I'm going to bring in this green hate card against a green deck, and that happens every time. But sometimes you forget that some decks are green, right? Where they have a splash. So it, there is a little bit of thoughtfulness into the sideboarding, I think, that you have to do beyond just being like, oh, I bring in Raven Feeblement against winota and elf stacks like there's more than that too exactly and one of the reasons that i think rakdos can be so popular and be doing as well as it is is because as we keep saying is like pioneer is very board based right like there's a lot of decks that want to play to the board and so having a bunch of removal is good for you because then you are able to stop what your opponent's doing and take over the end game as they play like a, a one mana one three flyer or something like that and and you're you're outstanding them on the board what, what i think is interesting is like pioneer is a few decks that want to control the board and so like rakdos is not singular in its in its ability to do so like we have azorius control that has interaction and sweepers it but it just can't offer the same potential aggression of rakdos like niv to light has plenty of interactive spells but because it's multicolor, it loses some of the efficiency of rakdos and so it tries to make that up with like a more powerful over-the-top endgame. And so what Rakdos is able to do is be our biggest removal pile style deck that still can play fairly aggressively to the board, which is just a, a hallmark, I think, of true mid-range style decks. Yeah, absolutely. So you, you touched on this a minute ago, but Rakdos is always also super popular in Explorer, right? But there's a huge difference between the Pioneer... <laughs> lists and the explorer list and it's, 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 so it's really weird it's so small and, you, and so you, big you brought it up when we talked about obnix a list a while ago when we were first t messing around with explorer but the difference between having access to dreadbore at sorcery speed yeah versus bedevil which does slightly more and is an instant but co cost three yeah is really weird to me that it's it yeah it's sort of like deck defining in some ways i think so too like I mean, two versus three mana is just a huge sweet spot for efficiency 
where it's like you just do more when you have a, a two mana kill spell and like you can kill something a turn earlier so they're able to generate less advantage with like their Teferi or something like that or you can remove something late game and then attack with a creature land because you had you know you have to have one more mana to do the same thing yeah you know what i think a huge one is here i think that we t- and we touched about this on this earlier talking about the proactive one mana spells that there are is that it's it's a lot harder in this deck not a lot harder i mean it's just later that it happens where with dreadbore you can cast it and then draw, play it play your blood tithe harvester or play your Kroxa, play one of your two drops instead, where when you're generally looking to do that later, if you, or you know you get to turn five and you do Dreadbore and Graveyard Trespasser, and like that's fine, but then when you get out to wanting to do that with Bedevil, you're out to like turn six yeah, with most of your good difference. threats, right? And so it gets way, way, way later in the game where you can do removal spell, drop a good creature. And that's with hitting all your land four, drops too, which like doesn't always yeah. happen. So it's like, it's right. just insulation against that. It's insulation against... Uh, a, a wider variety of things like if you know one thing that explorer does now we don't we're not going to focus on explorer that much but it's like play more uh, blood chief's thirst and like t- tapping four mana to kill a planeswalker instead of two mana is just brutal but like then you need that interaction to take care of early threats so like just the the flexibility of dreadboard at, at two mana just it really goes to show what that brings to you and it brings to the the deck and the format i think yeah, yeah. So weird that Bedevil continues to be unplayable. It's so close uh, so far. Yeah. And then the last thing I think is, you know, we mentioned that Strangle is in this McWinsauce list, but I, I didn't see it in any of the lists that I looked at before this. Seems to come in and come out. It's pro- kind of popular in Explorer. I think it's because uh, it hits a lot of creatures in this deck. So like you you can ah. gain some you need some massive mana advantage and tempo advantage when you uh, kill an X three for one, and I think we'll talk about that as we head into the the creatures up next, right? Yeah. So what you're saying though is you think that strangle can be good in Rakdos mid range when you're expecting a lot of Rakdos mid range. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, which is which is interesting given that it's thirteen percent of the meta that you would you know want to use that to kind of. Uh, start metagaming against itself is totally possible. And like we said, McWinsauce won the challenge this weekend with Rakdos. So maybe there's something to it. I will say, Strangle has been pretty popular in Is It lists, of course, people that don't have access to Fatal Push, basically, but not as much space for it here in Rakdos midrange right now. But keep an eye on it. Shane, do you want to talk about yeah, our, creature, yeah. our creature suite? Oh, yeah, I, I do, because I, I have a lot of thoughts on these, and I want to see what yours are. Well, and also, I think the thing that's really interesting about this to react to is it's it's this it seems to be the same sixteen creatures yes. in every basically list. every list that I've seen is the same thing. So, Shane, what are these yep. decks running? All right, we've got four Blood Tithe uh, Harvester, correct? And Trespasser, no, mm-hmm. that's Graveyard Trespasser. Blood Tithe Harvester, yeah, Harvester. Right. Okay, yep. that's a, yeah, the red and the black three two vampire comes in, makes a blood token. You can sacrifice it at sorcery speed to. Uh, make a creature get minus X minus X where X is two times the number of blood tokens you have. Did that by memory. How you was that? Nailed it. Okay. You nailed, I mean, it was out of order, but you nailed it. Okay. Yeah. Then we have uh, four bone crusher giant. This has been a card that you likely know. It's a, it's a classic uh, perfect for this strategy. I think we'll talk more about that later. We have four graveyard trespasser. That is our uh, black werewolf 
that comes in as a 3-3. When it ETBs, you get to eat a spell out of a graveyard. If it's a creature spell, you uh, drain gain your opponent for one. When it attacks, you can do the same thing. Uh, and then it has day and night bound. So like if no one casts a spell, it flips into a 4-4. Four, four. Then if two spells are cast, then it flips back into a 3-3. Three, three. Or if it's nighttime ever, then you, it comes down as a 4-4, four, four, which is kind of a fun thing. You don't have to wait for it to yeah. flip, which is advantageous a lot of times. I definitely want a game off of having it come down, getting the double trigger, and then and then closing out with four more damage. Heck yeah. That, that didn't quite see coming. We have a couple Kalidas, which is uh, our two and two black uh, vampire three four thing. That when you kill your opponent's creatures, it starts making zombie tokens for you. It has lifelink, all that good stuff. And then two Kroxa, which is you know the the other uh, Uro, but much worse in some ways and weirdly better in some other ways. But largely, uh, what has escaped five from the graveyard for black black red red. Yeah. So yeah, escape five black black red red. Exile five of the yeah. cards. Yeah, and so that's a good that's a good closer as well. So uh, that's kind of a somewhat brief overview. But you know you, you need some creatures to win with the mid range deck or in pioneer basically at all. And what I think the most interesting thing about these creatures is by and large they all have some kind of hate or some kind of added value. Right? These are not vanillas. Yeah, none of them are just kind of generically big, you know what I mean? Or just dumb creatures. Even in the way that Tarmogoyth is just kind of generically big, yeah. none of these creatures are played in that way. And I think if you think about Jund and Modern, you know, Jund and Modern tends to favor cards that are really, really efficient. And and good, awesome cards, of course, like Ragavan and Tarmogoyth and Tireless Tracker. No, a real, but <laughs> like a Death Rice, you know, shaman sometimes and our dragon's race channeler all that kind of stuff you used to play death right shaman which was like an absurd one mana card but anyway um that helps you ramp um these these cards all are good against specific specific strategies that i think mid-range decks can sometimes struggle against without these or sometimes they're very good against too like bone crusher giant for example is additional removal right so that just bolsters something that's already good about your deck when you play rakdos but sometimes you have a hard time fitting like main deck graveyard hate into a rakdos list like this but when you have kalidus and you have which kalidus does a little bit less than graveyard pass trespasser but they both do things against against graveyards that can help you main deck take care of take care of uh problematic graveyard plans Kroxa is additional hand disruption. Blood Tithe Harvester is also additional removal and provides you with a token. So I think that's the most interesting part about this is that these really aren't the best beaters, I don't think, but I think they're the most useful creatures at the different mana costs in Pioneer right now. That, that feels like a very particular way of approaching this deck, too, where it's like, it, it's it's a strength and a weakness of the deck, and... I don't want to necessarily get into the weeds on that just yet, but like a lot of these creatures are not the biggest stats for the mana. They don't have things like haste. They don't recur naturally out of the graveyard. They don't get huge just by playing the game. And like you said, I think they're trying to get their edges by kind of giving, getting those little extra pieces of value, where, whether it's like Bonecrusher Giant being like a very easy two for one, and then if your opponent wants to remove it, they're going to take a couple pieces, 
of damage either way, or it's just fine as a four mana beater for three, excuse me, four power beater for three when you just need to be attacking in and putting a clock on your opponent. Like Graveyard Trespasser is, of course, like just valuable against graveyard strategies like Phoenix or maybe like Grease Fang. But then like the clock kind of stinks. Like it's it's a three yeah. it's a three three. It doesn't have a big body. Doesn't attack super well. Like Night Mode is is a lot better with it. Um, and then you get the couple triggers off of it, but it's like not re- really reliable to get it to that state. So it's like Graveyard Trespasser for me is a really weird card. Like I think the the floor is pretty bad. Like it's like a three three for three that like maybe drains the opponent one or something like that. But like I find it yeah, pretty mad. Well, three three for three is like a pretty pretty good rate still. Even I think in just black. For, for in black it's pretty good. I mean, I remember back in the day where like a three three for three was like whoa. <laughs> I mean, remember the original rate for a three three was four mana like the prototypical generic magic card was three colorless and a red for a three three yeah what's that like yeah, is that a, a gray ogre hill giant is hill is, giant that's, that's hill giant yeah yeah but graveyard trespasser i think the exile clause is so handy for me and the fact that it does it when it comes into play is huge i also think a little bit of what you're discounting here is that it has ward and the ward yeah, costs is discard a that's, card. That's important. You're right. Because when I face down another one, I'm always like, this sucks. Like, I'm, I'm yeah. two for one myself. Yeah. And that, you know, it's another way for this deck to get a two for one. Now, they have a lot of choice in what that two for one is and how it works and how they pay for it. But still, there are some situations where it's like, I just can't afford to do this right now. I have to wait, you know, I have to wait another turn or I really need to cast the other spell. So I'm going to take another three damage from this thing. It's going to exile more cards from my graveyard. I think trespassers are a really decent card right now. I mean, I don't think it's like amazing in the way that Tarmogoyf is amazing or something, but it's a really good card that provides a lot of value for this deck at, th- at three mana. Yeah, you're right. The, the word is th- clutch. Like that's the yeah. biggest thing about it. I think I can't believe that card is a dollar seventy. Oh, by the way, yeah, I mean it's, it's so popular. It's a dollar seventy. Buy buy a playset, everybody. Put them under your pillow and yeah. sleep next to Graveyard Trespasser at night. But the comic art is really cool too. Like I like the the illustrative art a lot. Let's get into something I like a lot more. That's Kalidus. Like this is one of the big differentiating factors between this and Pioneer and as an explorer. I think Kalidus is like really fantastic. Like, but you you pay for that. It's four mana. But it has it has for toughness. It has lifelink. It makes more bodies for you when you're doing what you want to do, which is removing the opponent's creatures. Uh, it closes games pretty quickly. It's harder to remove than your creature lands. Like they're not going to as easily like march this. They're not going to easily fatal push this or something like that. Like it, it sticks to the board for any length of time. And opposing creature decks are going to have a nightmare against this. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that it's amazing how much Kalidus can stabilize your yeah, board. It's great. If you're in any kind of aggro thing, but if you can get to Kalidus and kind of step down and maybe kill one of their creatures and get another blocker, it's gigantic, right? Because you can gain life and do all kinds of stuff. I mean, I, I, there were a couple of games when I was playing where it was just like, oh, I'm losing, I'm losing. And then I stick Kalidus and yeah. it's like, and I'm, okay. I, I need, I really want to untap with this. And if I untap with this, yeah. I'm good to go. <laughs> Well, and it's even, it's not even untapping with it. It's like, they can't, I mean, they have to kill it. Sometimes they kill it. Sure. But 
they also can't attack even if they a lot of times because they don't they can't trade off anymore no, as easily because you're going to kill one of their creatures and gain three life and so sometimes it makes the attacks not worth it anymore yeah yeah Kalidus is amazing and it is a real shame that it's not in explorer to help this deck be good on arena because certainly the four drop options on arena are nowhere near as no. powerful as Kalidus is. I mean, I, I know that it, it is popular in Explorer. It seems like it's doing well in Explorer, but I've I've played a, a boatload of games with Rakdos mid and Explorer, and all I keep doing is like is missing a lot of these key, like a few of these key cards that we've talked about already. Here's here's a question I have for you though, Dave, and is uh-huh. are these creatures actually good? And I have I have thoughts on these creatures. <laughs> Well, I think that we kind of just showed that Trespasser's pretty good, Kalidus is good, Bonecrusher Giant is good. Enough. What about the two drops? Uh, yeah, Blood Tithe Harvester is like, it's it's so rarely good. Like, the only time it's like good enough is like, I, I thought seized a removal spell against Azorius Control. Or like some like synergy deck, and then they never drew another removal spell, and I got nine damage off of my blood tithe harvester or something like that. You know what I mean? Where it's like I I was able to attack two or three times with this three two, and that was yeah. good enough. Or they felt like they had to remove it, and then I was able to play another like three power creature and just kind of ran them out of removal or something like that. But like it's just so infrequently great. It, it dies to all of the one mana red removal. It dies to opposing stomps. Like the the sacrifice ability is is so infrequently something like you really want to be doing. I mean, it's it can be okay. It can be okay, especially yeah. with multiple blood tokens out. Like if you give a, if a couple, that's pretty good. Yeah, but still, you have to sack him to do it, and then it's like, am I really? And it takes a turn because you have to tap him and yeah. sack him to do it, and it's like, I don't know. Like I, I was pretty into this card for a while, and then now it just feels like it never does anything other than just kind of occasionally attack as a three-two, and that maybe that's what we need on the curve. Like there's broad agreement about this card about the creature suite. Like we said, I mean, there's there's very little variation in these deck lists, really, just kind of on the edges. Yeah, but yeah, Blood Tithe Harvester. I don't just know. kind of a bummer of a card. I I really want to be playing with like maybe bloodthirsty adversary, like the two two with haste. Like if you have access to three mana, you can like cast spells out of your graveyard with like the ETB, and it has haste. Like that seems like it's better late game upside. Like blood tithe is a, is a terrible top deck late frequently, where it's just like uh, here's my two mana three two. Like, yeah, I, right. hope, I hope I do something with it. I mean, of course, you yeah, get the, the adversary does the like goblin dark dwellers yeah, impression, exactly. right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you get the they blood call it token. goblin dark dwellers effect. You get the blood token, which is cool. Uh, that really helps with like your revolt triggers or things like that. Like it helps you ditch a land for maybe another spell. Like I think blood tokens are actually pretty valuable in this deck, but it just doesn't. This, this is not a, like a high excitement two drop. This is not a Tarmogoyf. Yeah, I will say I did pretty well in the leagues and I did. And I think part of it is because I like never drew this card. It's like <laughs> I drew the other cards when I needed, but never really had Blood Tithe Harvester around doing work. I drew all my graveyard trespassers, never drew Blood Tithe Harvester win. That's, that's, what, that's what makes a Rakdos deck win. What other kind of things you, did you realize playing with this deck? Like how you feel about certain creatures? 
Well, I mean, Kroxa is tough to... I love Kroxa. Okay, I've played a bunch of games with it. I play it in Grixis Death Shadow in Modern. I've played it in Explorer. I've played it here, too. I mean, I do really, really like Kroxa, but I'm so glad that we're only running two, of course, because you can't do much more than it with that with it. And sometimes it really is just kind of a bit of a bummer of a card to be like, oh, here it is, top deck, not great. Okay, now I die because I can never escape it. There's so much inc- incidental graveyard hate flying around in, in Pioneer right now, mm-hmm. too, especially with so many other Rakdos mid lists out there that quite often this feels like two discard one, make them fire off their whatever graveyard hate they have and kind of go on your way. Yeah. So I do, I mean, it's a super powerful card. Like, Burrow is a powerful card. This is a powerful card that closes games too, but I do wonder if people continue to pack main deck graveyard hate, if unlicensed hearse keeps getting popular, if we're going to be like, you know what, Kroxa is too bad on the front side for us to be able to keep if it's just always going to go away almost every game and only be a discard. Yeah, and, and this deck fills the graveyard, but doesn't do it like hyper-aggressively, and I don't think that that's what this deck is about. This deck is about in- right. inevitable Kroxas, but like you said, it's just like so often it's just like, well, uh, my opponent's Graveyard Trespasser ate it, or like the Soul Guide Lantern got played, or just any number of things happened, or my opponent's decks were too fast and they my Kroxa was completely worthless, and there's just a lot of times when like you're sideboarding it out or it's like the worst two mana discard spell in the game where it's just like they get to choose and it doesn't feel great. Sometimes take three damage. Yeah. I think that we're agreeing the only good creatures in here, the creatures that are the easiest to play, I guess yeah. I would say the ones that make the most sense, Bonecrusher, Giant, and Kalidus, and then Graveyard Trespasser, I think for you is a tier down, although I think it's just as good as those other creatures I mean, because good. of the ward ability. He, here's You're my, giving up on that. Here's my real thing, Dave. Here's my real thing. They're all X3s. Yeah. Okay. And I don't know how many times you had this happen in your playing, but I've played this deck a, a decent amount. And I don't want my mid range cards to lose to Anger of the Gods. And I've had a lot of Anger of the Gods cast against me from like red based control decks or like even like Arc Light Phoenix can just be like, oh yeah, all of their cards are going to be three power or three toughness or less. So I'm just going to Cyberdyne Anger of the Gods. I'm going to get my yep. two or three for one. And then they're going to have a really hard time closing the game out against me. Yeah. And I hate that. I mean, the worst is when they cast it as their third spell. <laughs> <laughs> I hate it a lot. They cast it as their third spell and then the Phoenixes come back after and. It's like nothing even happened. Yeah, I, uh, you know, I, I didn't, like I didn't, re- I didn't realize that until you pointed it out that it's extremely vulnerable to anger of the gods. I mean, I think you got to play around wraths sometimes. You know what I mean? But um, Kalidus survives. Yeah, that's that's right? a good thing. You got Kalidus in this, which is great. Planeswalkers survive. Speaking of planeswalkers, let's get into these value engines that we have yeah. here. So there's there's three cards that I would basically call value engine slash extra win con slash generic good cards. And that's two planeswalkers, Chandra, Torch of Defiance, Soren the Mirthless. So it's usually two of Chandra and one Soren the Mirthless. And then four, Fable of the Mirror Breaker, everybody's favorite card in Pioneer and Explorer. Anywhere you can play it, play Fable, put it in your mono red burn decks too. Why not while you're at it? <laughs> what do you think about Fable, Dave? What do you, what do you like? What, is, what do you think about Fable in this deck? I think it is fine, right? It's season pyromancer in this deck. I mean, it does give you two creatures and it helps improve your draws. And so I yeah. think it's a great card to have access to. It's nice to have something that can rocket through your deck. It's not as syner- 
synergistic or powerful it is it is in some other decks where you're really digging for i mean you're digging for specific answers pretty frequently in this deck like if you want a removal spell you really want a removal spell to keep going but um i think it's just very good i but that's how i feel about fable in general is i think fable is just very good it's a very very good card like this card and it should be played a lot this card's good with croxa which is nice it's like a faster way to power out your croxa i mean Getting rid of cards you don't love for cards that have more value in the matchup, always good. But like my my primary issue with the card is like it's it's frequently like the floor is pretty good, but like the ceiling is never outstanding. I think it's just always something that like it it annoys your opponent in a certain way, which makes sense to have in this deck. But like I think like it's one of those things where you can look at it and be like, well, here's a four of value card in my deck. I think people should be taking this card out a lot more than they should. Like, I think they could be sideboarding it out. It's one of those things where, like, because it's, like, a high floor, somewhat low ceiling card, like, if you have higher ceilings to bring in, like, it's one of those things where you can start thinking about, is this 2-2 on turn three really that valuable? Like, is am I going to need to be discarding cards for better ones, things like that? I mean, I think the tier, when I think about sideboarding this deck, there's three cards that are on my list off the top that I think about taking out first, right? It's Kroxa, it's Fable, and it's Thoughtseize are where I start with the cards that, that could be taken out. Like, those are what I'm going to think yeah. about first yeah, in certain yeah, yeah. matchups. Are these cards good? Is this card good? Is this card good? From there, it gets more complicated because the rest of the cards are just generically good in this deck. But um, those are the those are the things that I really look at. But I think Fables is good here as it is many places. And it's just... But I, I, I love the thought of like, hey, it's not always good to just have a generically good yeah. filtering card in your deck. Like sometimes you should just have more answers. Yeah, or and more threats. fine place to just have more answers. Like, I mean, like... Uh, a- no more... Th- a lot of like a lot There's of no more threats to put in this one. Yeah, but. I know that's that's a real issue. I think that I wouldn't be surprised if like metagame shifts happen where as we get to sort of a mid range battleship kind of uh, race, like where it's like I need more aggression to put in my deck because I'm not going to stop mono green planeswalkers. I'm not going to stop Niv Mizzet with my with the suite of creatures I have and like a two two on turn three without haste or something like that. Yeah. All right. Let's keep this going because we're actually running out of time because you know that we can talk here on the dive down. How? How do we do it? I don't know how we did it, but we're doing it. We can talk a lot about these these cards, though. Well, these cards are very good. So Chandra Tortured Defiance is the Jace, the Mind Sculptor of Pioneer. I don't think I'm the first person to say <laughs> it, but the card is so good. It's outrageous. The card's amazing. It's good. Any any deck you can play Chandra, you should play Chandra. Yeah. I mean, the fact that it's only a two of for me is like, I mean, we'll get to Soren the Mirthless in a second, but like, man, Chandra is such a good card. Like in terms of her, both her pluses are frequently good where it's like, you're either getting card advantage or you're doing incidental damage, which is a great choice to have because it's, it's one of those things where it's, it's, it's just a card that's good in every scenario or essentially every scenario. Like if you're getting swarmed, She's not exactly what you want to bring down, but on an empty board or nearly empty board, she's like generating mana, mana, generating card advantage, getting or getting like shocks to your opponent's dome. Uh, she controls the board with her minus. Like her ultimate is good as any ultimate in the game, and yeah, Chandra is is the best. Like it's it's one of the cards you frequently want to see. She can do four damage to a lot of creatures that are tough to kill me with like a fatal push or or like a strangle or something like that. Yeah. The main thing I would say about Chandra is that 
definitely another card that's on the list to consider sideboarding out are these planeswalkers depending on your matchup because they can be bad against aggressive decks you know things like that where you just need more removal where they're too slow like just keep that in mind but they're super powerful and they're definitely one of the ways that this deck can turn all of that resource trading into a win by play you know train a bunch of resources and then the last card you play out of your hand is a chandra they don't have any answers for it and then you're drawing cards you're doing damage you know you're killing a creature sometimes and still doing all those things so that's pretty amazing i do think that the one to add red red is a little underrated yeah out of chandra yeah. because you know being able to drop it you know being able to drop it on turn five and then maybe add red red for a um for a three drop is a pretty powerful play if you can if you can pull that off oh yeah totally um, there's not a lot of targets for their red red like they are in some decks but i think it's still something you should remember is that you don't always just have to run to the plus one draw or do two damage although that's what you use chandra for i don't know 80 of the time 70 percent of the time probably yeah the and then 25 percent of it's kill a creature and then five percent is red red I mean, one of the things that I do love is the having a treasure token from like a previous uh, fable shaman or whatever, and then like dropping a Chandra, making two mana, having access to a third mana, getting like a, a legitimate creature on the board just is such a huge swing of a, of a game. I love that. Yeah. And plus wanting Chandra to drop the front half of Bonecrusher Giant to stop. Yeah, that's always great. Pretty good too. Yeah. So Soren, the Mirthless. I hated this card when I played an Explorer, but playing this last week of Rakdos, it was really good. And some of the main reasons are just like, I don't know, maybe I was just in a different mind space. I was playing up against better decks where Planeswalkers were better or just, you know, being able to have more than one Planeswalker out at a time is pretty good. And Soren as that proxy that does similar things yeah. to Chandra, you know, draws cards, has an alt that can kill something. This one makes a creature, which is sometimes useful. Same casting cost, I think is nice in the case where you could... Um, where you need to do it, where you want to play two Planeswalkers at yeah. once. You know, if you could put two Chandras in play at once, I would play four <laughs> Chandras without even thinking about it at all. But you can't, and, you know, you want to make sure that you can use your cards and you're not just sitting there waiting for, you know, to get rid of a Chandra so you can play another one or something like that. I I, I do feel like... the the I've cast a lot of Sorens, and I do just feel like I think Chandra is more widely useful in more situations and i just think that she it might just need to be another chandra like it might need to be three chandras rather than two and one after i just got done saying I that i thought that for a while and now i'm feeling I mean, the other way like, i just disagree with you like uh, the, the, so the primary issues with me is he doesn't control the board at all and he cannot damage the opponent directly even with like especially with a plus besides making like the vampires and so like the the primary play pattern with soren is like make a vampire and then you can start, then you can like plus draw a card, make a vampire, plus draw a card, then make a vampire. Like that, that's kind of like the turn sequence I kind of employed. And there's like, you know, plusing and then minusing when, when you can. Like, and you usually would maybe, if he sticks around, is like you get like four power and maybe two cards out of it. And that's great, but that's completely uncontested. And I think Chandra, you'd be doing more with her uh, in more situations. And but you know the lifelink on the vampires can be really good. It's it can the flying the can flying be good. can be really good. So like I get it. Um, but I do think Chandra is more generically powerful more often. I, I I definitely agree. I just think it's really duplicate protection. Yeah. Here where it's like it's like you really don't want those double Chandra draws. You want to be if you draw two four drops, you want to be able to play them. And so 
Uh, that's kind of what I really think why people have hit this spot, but we'll see. Yeah. All right. So we have a little bit of time left. Do you want to talk about kind of the strengths and weaknesses of this deck? I want to talk about one last thing first. There's one last super important thing, lands. Oh, yes, the creature lands. So the creature lands are extremely important to this deck. Yeah, they're the one the they list I'm looking good. at, yeah, is two Den of the Bugbear, two Hive of the Eye Tyrant. I think that this is a huge part of why this deck is good. I agree. Yeah, I don't think this deck could exist at all in the same way without them. Or they can maybe run a different creature suite or something like that. But yeah, yeah I mean they're just so good at different times. Like Hive of the Eye Tyrant having menace comes up all the time for me. Yeah, it's like absolutely. they have a single creature left because you've removed them so efficiently. And then instantly eating some graveyards can be a big game. Like Den is a little bit faster, leaves behind a token. It's more annoying, I think, for control decks to deal with. Yep. I mean, that's that's just what it is. Yep. They're both of these are essential against making this matchup against control good. And you know, I gotta tell you, moving transitioning into strengths and weaknesses, I, I think that this is is a weird anomaly of control of mid-range decks in that i think it's actually pretty good against control which is not something that you see come up too frequently and it's just because of the creature lands i think yeah i think that's that's one of its biggest benefits i think is that it has good game against creature decks and then it has good game against kind of bog standard control style strategies which isn't always the case with with red black yeah but i think I think the strengths other than that, I think is that you get to have the true mid range experience where it's like, I'm going to stymie aggressive strategies, or maybe if I get the right hand together, I mulligan correctly. I put to I get that clock on slower strategies. They're not able to recover from my early pressure. And I kind of turn the corner and get there and you get to place hand disruption, which is always just fun and thought provoking. You get to play all the removal, probably the best removal in the format and those are all things that are fun. You get to play some good planeswalkers uh, without having to cast weird Azorius spells. Ugh. Yeah, true. What else do you think? What did you like about it? What was strength for you? So biggest thing for me about Rakdos, and I think it, it held up last night. It was last couple nights. It was very close for me a couple of times this time, but the same as when I played Rakdos and Explorer. Um, this deck is good against Winota. Yes. <laughs> and that's a huge reason I think that this deck is 13% of the metagame is the second most played deck in in Pioneer right now is because Winota is still the most played deck. This deck has the most efficient answers to Winota. You know, there's single casting, there's single mana answers. You're able to to do a lot of different things to stop it, whether it's using Thoughtseize or Dreadbore. You can kill their elves early. You can kill their Winotas late. You can kill their big creatures when they get the board sometimes. Like, it's... um. That's why I think that this deck is generally good right now, and that yeah. it has enough game against other cards, that other decks that I think that that makes up makes it enough to be a competitive deck right now in this meta game. Yeah, I think it gets a lot of benefit because of Winota being so good that the slower decks, like this, like the slower big mid range decks, like Niv to Light or even Mono Green Ramp or something like that, or like sort of the the dirtily sacrifice style decks, or even something like Mono Blue Spirits, is because Winota is is so popular and so good and so fast and reliable at what it's doing, is that these decks can get run over by it. I think it's even more simple than that. And here here's what it is. 
those decks can't run Fatal Push. Exactly. That's that's what it is. <laughs> and so the fact that you can use Fatal Push to kill their elf early, or you can enable Fatal Push to kill Winota late with Revolt yeah. is giant, I think, in the current metagame. And so that's just kind of what it is, I think. And it's good enough against other things. Some of the reason that I mentioned like those decks like Mono Green Ramp or like Niv to Light or things like that, or even Rack to Sacrifice, is that I think those are decks that have very good game against Rakdos. I think like Rakdos is Rakdos can very easily be gone over the top of. Like something like Niv, something like Mono Green Ramp, with just it's it's huge creatures that can dodge your your smaller pieces of removal. There's a deck that won Saturday's Pioneer Challenge, I think, this week that was red green ramp. It yeah. was like Ugin and Dragon Lord Atarka. Yeah. I, I played against a well known player named Winged Hussar. I completely punted the match. If you're <laughs> out there, Winged Hussar, I know I'm a dummy. I just scooped. And, um, but that deck, it does. It just goes right over the top of this. And there are, there are options for doing Tron like over the top strategies yes. in, in Pioneer. And they're there. And if they get more popular, I don't think this deck is going to be great. Yeah. And, and I think, like, let's say Winota does get nerfed or banned or something happens where, like, Winota is out. I think Rakdos Midrange loses a huge metagame share because it, That'd be my guess it, it no longer has, like, it, there's not a ton of, like, small creature decks in this format where, like, Rakdos is really beating up on them. I think it becomes sort of like, a, it's almost like a, a true rock, paper, scissors format where it's like, maybe Boros Aggro shoots up a bit, and then Rakdos is able to beat up on the Rakdos Aggro decks and the Mono Blue Spirits decks, maybe, but then the uh, Mono Green Ramp and Nif to Light and stuff is going over the top of the, mid, the Rakdos mid-range, but we're sort of, like, in... The meta game is structured as such where Rakdos has a f has good matchups against two of the other most popular decks, if not three of the other most popular decks in Mono Red Aggro, Azorius Control, and Naya Winota. Where I think it can it, it hold its own so well against those that it's able to maintain this meta game share for such a normal seeming mid range deck. Yeah, I mean I do kind of think that's the bottom line. This deck is fun. I got a four one with it. It's good. But it's meta dependent. Yeah, like it's. I wish it had better creatures. Uh, I, I wish that it had cre creatures where that I felt like when I when I had them on the board and the opponent was top decking or had like one or two cards in hand and I was like, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna close the game in like two turns. But like it's frequently like five turns or something like that, or where everything just feels a little bit too slow. And that's supposed to be Kroxa, but it's just so yeah. gets taken out by so much incidental hate right now that I do think it's tough to rely on it for that. Yeah. I just, I think that, you know, the benefit of this in Pioneer over Explorer is that you do get a few better end game threats. I think you get uh, better mana efficiency than you do in Explorer. And that's what makes, I think, Rakdos more fun for me to play in Pioneer is you just get better spells and, a, a, and one important better creature. And access to Herborg, which is you know kind of fun and, and comes in handy sometimes. But you you're not that heavy into black where you need to like be you really need Herborg. Let me tell you something. I was looking at buying this deck in paper because I think there's a lot of just generically good cards in it that I don't have. And these lands, I do not want to buy these lands. No, uh, I don't want to buy an Herborg for thirty five dollars. I don't want to buy Haunted Ridge. Haunted Ridge is. I mean, we didn't talk about it. All these AF or these are Midnight Hunt lands. These lands are all, they're all good. I, these cards are good. Like, 
we didn't talk about them a lot at the time that they were spoiled, but they're good in Pioneer. Like the fact that they come into play untapped so frequently is just so much better than the checklands. Yeah. That um it's brutal. Yeah, um Dave, uh, as lo- as well as some extra fables, I do have some extra Urborgs, so we'll 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 chit chat. Oh, great. Well, okay. I'm hoping for a reprint in Double Double Masters for Urborg. I mean, did that, we'll that just happen? I guess that was in Ultimate Masters, which is a surprisingly yeah, long, like long time ago. Three years ago now. Yeah. Anyway, um, so closing thoughts. I think we gave them already. Yeah, you're right. It's a it's a yeah. it's a good deck. Is it always going to be good? I don't know. It'll probably always be fine. I think it's good right now for the reasons we said. So if you're into it, uh, if you have thoughts on this deck, get at us on on the Twitter. Email us at thedivedown at gmail.com. But I think overall, that wraps up this week's show. If you haven't yet, make sure you subscribe to our podcast. You get the latest episodes as soon as they come out. If you use Apple Podcasts, you can leave us a rating and review there. If you use Spotify, I think only on mobile, you can leave us like a star review there. We appreciate that kind of stuff. If you want to submit a question to us or reach out, like I said, tweet at us at the dive down or email the dive down at gmail.com. If you want to support the show, of course, you can become a citizen of the Dive Down Nation over at our Patreon, which is patreon.com slash the Dive Down. You get immediate access to the definitively discreet Dive Down Discord, where we're always interacting with fellow citizens there. You can also support us via Manatraders, manatraders.com. You can sign up for two months off your, excuse me, 15% off your first two months using the code the Dive Down 15, all one word. Of course, we're also brought to you by Barrister and Man, Barrister and Man, uh, purveyor of fine fragrances, fine shaving soaps, body soaps, all that kind of stuff for you, your loved ones, your home. Barrister and Man, M-A-N-N, the Dive Down 15 for 15% off your first order there. Of course, special thanks to the bands Nowhere and Space Blood for letting us use their music in our opening and bumper sequences. But until next week. Get out there and turn one Thoughtsy.